Guess who's back? Back again. Shady's back. Whoa, 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 whoa. What? I can't say that. It's not like, not like a slur now. What? Probably. Coming up. <laughs> we review Leave the World Behind. And the killer. And the fall of the House of Usher. And Killers of the Flower Moon. And Five Nights at Freddy's. Let us commence thus. <laughs> I love it when people do that. When they go like, and the proclamation is thus. And then they just say the proclamation. <laughs> Introducing your own... Uh, not that people do that. Do you get my yeah. point? Uh, let's start with... That's like... I'm just thinking is like one of the things that a lot of people complain about, I think we complain about as well, is, you know, you get those, like, mini trailers at the beginning of a trailer? Yeah. Isn't that basically what you just did? Essentially, yeah. 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 The trailer is thus. Yeah. Here is the trailer. Yeah. Okay, leave the world behind, George. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, um, bye then. It's a film. It is um, a film. Yes. Would you like me to premise it? Yeah, go on. Okay. So, it is a film from Sam Esmail. I think it's adapted from a novel that is essentially about a family of four that go to a vacation home mm. um, outside of New York and shit is off yes. and things start happening and like the signal goes down and it kind of becomes clear that something of large proportion is happening elsewhere, but they don't know what it is. Maybe hackers, maybe who knows. And then Mashla Ali's character knocks on um, the house one night and he says, I'm the owner. I would like to stay here because it's too difficult to get into the city or whatever. They're a bit skeptical, but kind of, you know, they don't really know who he is. They let him stay there. And then there are tensions amongst the group as we slowly peel back the possibilities of what's going on. Mm. I think that's a fair description. Yeah, it could be um, categorized in the sort of unofficial subgenre of film with people in moderately expensive house as shit goes down on Netflix. Yes. But I would say that this is probably an exemplar of that genre, if not sort of somewhere above that genre. Yeah. Uh, the film is uh, directed, certainly written as well by I Sam I think you wrote it, yeah, yeah. Sam Esmail. Uh, yeah, of Mr. Robot fame. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, this is the thing, like, do we do the spoiler thing? or do we Yes, because well, I want to talk about the ending, so yeah, okay. um, we will do spoilers. Yeah, okay, so spoilers, but obviously, yeah, the the film very quickly starts uh, presenting you with strange goings-on and imagery. Yeah. I think the first major one is an oil tanker running ashore on a beach. Yes. And then all of a sudden, there's, like, all of these deer in the garden. Mm, hundreds of hundreds deer. Hundreds of deer, yeah. and at the first, you're like... Okay, mm-hmm. Sam Esmail, is this going to be all a dream again? Mm-hmm. Until it isn't again. Um, <laughs> you sound bitter. <laughs> I know, I'm just like, I'm just remembering how great the fourth season of Mr. Robot was yeah. and how much, how tedious the second season feels now by comparison. Certainly the first half, yeah. Yeah. When it's just nothing actually happens, really. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. But we're not we're not talking about Mr. Robot. No, we're not. <laughs> we're not gonna yeah, not gonna be critical of Mr. Robot. Yes. Um yeah, we're gonna talk about Leave the World Behind. Okay, so the cast are terrific. Uh yeah, it's a very, very strong cast. I really like Ethan Hawke in anything now, really. Well I was gonna say you've got a bit yeah. of a uh, bit of a man not even a man crush, just like a um, a, a man appreciation. Yeah. A, a man <laughs> fandom. A man appreciation. A I, well like because you were you appreciate his craft, really, don't you? Like he, I think he's a good actor. Yeah, <laughs> basically, <laughs> put simply, yeah, uh, yeah. Like I've seen a few films recently 
of him in his 20s, early 30s. And he's not bad, but there's, you know, the fresh-facedness is strong. Is it a bit of a Dave Chappelle effect where he's, a he's matured bit. well? Yeah, yeah. He's and his abilities have matured become well. a lot better. Yeah. yeah. 100%. And I just now don't think he's capable of really turning in a bad performance. Okay. He's in some films that aren't great, mm. uh, but he's never bad in them. Um, well, what have we got recently to sort of... We've got this, in which he plays a kind of... Almost like a beta male kind of... He's, he, you know, he's a liberal uh, prof- college professor. Yeah. Um, that's kind of very... Really wants to endear himself to the black housemates they suddenly have. Yeah. It's never explicit. He's never like... It's not like Get Out. No, no. Like, oh, let's yeah. go out of our way to be nice because they're black. The point is that his wife, played by Julia Roberts, who's also very good, her distrust of them you kind of pick up that it may be racially yeah. based. As and does he's, the Black Daughter. As does the Black Daughter. And he and Ethan Hawke is very much the antithesis of that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we have that. We have the Black Phone, is that what it's called? Yeah, we yeah. Have, yeah whatever he was... That, <laughs> we yeah, yeah, creepy was villain. Black phone. That bizarre Glass micro Onion. cameo in yeah. Glass Onion where he's this like really like confident... like Ponytail. Yeah, with a ponytail. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, he's... He's, uh, he's in a gay Western short film with Pedro Pascal. Okay. Um, this year. Sure. Um, from, I'm going to say Pedro Almodovar, but I could be wrong about that. Okay. But he's good in that. Uh, yes, he's a, he's a very good actor. Yeah, first reformed as well. I know it was a couple of years ago. But, oh, that but... that's one of the great all-time performances, yeah. I think. Uh, yes. And, uh, you know, Boyhood before trilogy. Yes, he's very good. <laughs> uh, but I would say the standout for me was Marshall Ali. Okay. I I read. I think he's a really good actor. He's another one that kind of. Mm. Oh, if he's in it, it guarantees a certain level of quality. Okay. Yeah, I think he's great, and I think he's very good in this. Um, who's a standout for you? I mean, I like them all. It was really the uh, the the daughter, um, the black daughter, mm-hmm. was the weakest of the main cast. For yeah, me. I would agree. But I think part of that is just my unfamiliarity with her, and um, she's quite brash and unlikable. Yeah, to an extent. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, like she like well, funnily enough, her and Julia, mm. yeah, Roberts, yes, yeah, both the women are kind of presented as the antagonistic force of either side, aren't they? I I think it depends on where you're coming from because well, basically, Marshall Ali is like, let's just keep calm, yeah, and trying to control things, and she is very much these white people don't like us, yeah. She she's a millennial essentially, yeah. I think if you're coming from that perspective, she's the heroine of the film. What's her um, assessment of Friends? Because I think that really summed her character up for I me. think she says a um, it's kind of nostalgic for a time that never existed. Yeah. So, yeah, she doesn't raise the whiteness of no. it. But it's nostalgic for a time that didn't exist, which plays into the end, if you like. Yeah. The visuals are terrific. It's very well directed. Yeah, well, of course. I mean, Mr. Robot, uh, one of the most visually unique shows yeah. in recent memory. Well, it's one of the most auteured, isn't it? Yeah, like, that, that is his show. Yeah, and though this doesn't look like Mr. Robot, um, he's certainly yeah. carried a lot of the flair that was in that show over. And it's nice to see that, because he made at least one film before Mr. Robot um, with his wife, Emmy Rossum, but that I think is fairly traditionally okay. mounted. Uh, then you've got Mr. Robot. So it's nice to see that, it, okay, he has moved... He's kind of learned the lessons of Mr. Robot yeah. and taken it to film. Yeah, he does have a thing. I mean, distinctive, clean cinematography. I know that's not necessarily him, but kind of just fluid camera movements, kind of overhead yeah. shots. And he definitely has a style. Yeah. 
kind of in the same camp as David Fincher in a way where you've got clean very clean very controlled but at the same time as you said there's they're they're quite kinetic yeah some of the movements there's that that shot where um Hasha Ali and his daughter are in the basement yes and they're kind of talking about like oh how do we get them to kind of leave the house mm-hmm. and then the camera pans up through the ceiling of the basement yeah. to the floor of the kitchen and then goes up to the to the bedroom that's above them and then you uh, see their conversation with you know Ethan Hawke and yeah. Julie Roberts' conversation, and it comes back down. And it looks at the TV, kind of like Panic Room, where it's kind of like going through yeah, yeah, yeah. the whole house, but in without one motion, without that slight baggage of kind of visual effects of its time. Not to say that it's bad in Panic Room, but you definitely it feels experimental. Oh yeah, when you watch yeah. it, you go, oh, okay, they were kind of pushing the boundaries of what was possible. Yes, at that time. Yeah. Now it just seems easy. I mean, but, but that's probably testament to his direction. Yeah, that he it makes all it just look feel easy. so easy. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so the dialogue can be overly expositional, as in the opening scene. Yeah, that that kind of worried me at first. Like, oh no, that's bad. But I think actually that's intentional, and it's meant to be funny. Okay, bad humor. So in the opening scene, Ethan Hawke's in bed. Julie Roberts is packing, mm. and she kind of goes. Right, we're going on holiday, and mm. he's like, "Why?" It's like, and she says, "Well, because you've been doing this for six months, and I've been doing that." And it's like, "Oh, right, okay, that's like bad mm. exposition that she's telling us yeah. what he knows, you know." But like, yeah, I think that sometimes add a, adds a weird humor to it. It's not a humorless film. Yeah, there's quite a lot of weirdness. Yeah, in there. Well, yeah, and I, th- I think to a certain degree, the the uh, more expositional dialogue mm-hmm. is completely understood because a lot of like what's happening mm-hmm. is happening off screen. Yeah. So it's it's them learning a piece of information and having to kind of convey it with the rest of the group, and then the, they go, "Oh well, I learned this piece of piece of information, which kind of contradicts what you know." And yeah. Then, yeah. Yeah. So kind of uh, there's a vagueness around our discussion of what's going on because that's very much the point. In yeah. That what's clear is that it's it's as though someone's attacking. Um, yeah, there's yeah, but in a kind of grand way, you know, where just infrastructure broadly is just going down, mm. and then can Ethan Hawke goes out, and there's this plane that's dropping all these leaflets with Arabic writing on it, and his son recognizes one of the phrases as being "Death to America," mm. so they think, "Oh, Iran is behind it," but then there's other evidence that maybe it's the Russians, and kind yeah. of you know, and Marshall Ali's character. He works, or he's like an advisor to defense contractors. Yes. Yeah. So he knows people that kind of think about this stuff. Uh, so he's kind of our window, really, into any anything close to an explanation about what's going on. Mm. Essentially, the film is about division, uh, I would, especially American division. It's a maths film. A maths film? Mm. What do you mean? It's oh, about, about division. division. Okay, yeah. So Marshall, Marshall Ali's final speech about pretty much what's going on yeah it's a bit on the nose but up until then the film isn't Mm. so i forgave that again Uh, like uh, maybe it doesn't need to be as on the nose as as it is because of what uh julia roberts and the daughter see in their final scene yes but i think because the ending takes the ending isn't really like an explanation of what's going on the ending is kind of doing its own thing the ending's yeah it's a theory because he still doesn't know but he's like Okay, um, I guess we we've said spoilers. So. Well, that's the thing. Like I'm saying, like it's not as if the the end of the film is, and here are all of the answers. No, no, the no, ending no. is kind of something else. It's it's almost like a kind of um, yeah, kind of hint as to like, oh, this is what will become of 
uh, certainly the daughter, but what, what will become of yeah the main characters now? Yeah, and it's also kind of a... I mean, what he says at the end, we are supposed to really take as the truth of what's happening, right? Yeah. There's not, even though it's unconfirmed. Well, it, yeah, even though it's a theory, it's 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 showing you uh, like flashes of the film that we've already seen. Yeah. So it's like the film is is sort of showing you evidence to back up its own theory. Yeah, and it's not nothing profound. Let's say it's not like oh my god, this it was this. It's kind of what you think it is the whole time. You yeah. Know, it's like, which is um, you know if you want to destabilize a country, a civilization, then there are kind of three stages. Mm. The first is to is the first bringing down infrastructure. Yeah, kind of uh, kill transport and communication. Yeah, and then confuse people. Yeah. So, like the Iranian thing may just be misinformation. Yeah. Or disinformation, and then the third will tear tear each other apart. Yeah. Uh, so obviously, it's supposed to be an allegory for the current state of the mm. world, the you know, um, the polarization of politics and everything. It's also an argument for physical media. <laughs> is this what you were referring to yes okay because before I watched it uh, you said that um, you'll you'll love the ending because yeah. it backs up something it's we, for us <laughs> we've been saying all along yeah yeah and, and, it, and it part is. of me thought even though you said it was the end of the film part of me thought you were referring to when um, Julia Roberts and Ethan Hawke's daughter so not the the daughter in the main yeah, cast yeah. they have two kids which are kind of uh, like supporting characters yes. and the, that daughter she uh, is like quoting a story from the West Wing at yeah. one point and uh, Julie Roberts is like you watch the West Wing and she goes only the Aaron Sorkin seasons oh yes and yeah. I thought that's what you were referring there are to things, I think because Sam Esmail I, like, I doubt that stuff's in the novel right Yeah. but Sam Esmail is very plugged into like he's he's a millennial I think so like he's raised on TV and, yeah and in Mr. Robot there are loads of references to movies and TV mm. shows and people talk about it in a very real way. Yeah. In the way that, again, like, oh, yeah, just the Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, scene. yeah. Like, you wouldn't really see that in anything else. No. Yeah, no, not that, though. That is also correct. Yes. But basically, the the daughter is trying, the whole film is trying to watch Friends on her phone because she's on the last episode. Yeah. And th- that's when the signal goes down. So she's kind of having separation anxiety and she needs to, <laughs> she needs to know how it ends. Yeah. And then her brother is like, yeah, he's a bit of a prick to it. He's basically like, yeah, you're probably never going to know. She's just like live with it kind of thing. Mm. But at the end, she discovers a bunker in this house that is stocked with DVDs. Yes. Which I, I no doubt is Esmail's collection. <laughs> um, it's like in Hot Fuzz, isn't it? The Danny's collection. Oh, yeah, the Holy Grail. It's yeah. Edgar Wright, Joe Cornish, and someone else's DVD collection right. piled together. Okay. Uh, but yeah, um, and she finds the Friends box set and she puts in the thing to watch the last episode. Yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of, you can infer from that what you will. I think part of it, if you want to take the other daughter's stance that, oh, okay, we're now just going to retreat back into the past, mm. you know, like things that, that reality is too difficult to face, so we're just going to retreat back into the past. Part of it is things were better back then. You can look at it that way if you mm. want. We're actually better, like, but also, like, what I took away from it is fundamentally, yeah, when the systems go down, you've got to rely on yeah. physical existence. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't. The nostalgia thing I didn't really buy into because I've never seen Friends as an accurate depiction of life. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's. No, it's a type of show. It's a sitcom. It's, yeah. But also, like, I don't know how old that character is supposed to be. Like, she would even know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, she would have been born post millennium. Yeah, she certainly would have been born, like, after Friends had premiered. 
Yeah. Possibly before it ended, but the majority of friends would have been behind her by the time she was born. And even if she was born when after it began in the 90s, that's still young enough to not know if it's an accurate depiction yeah, of that it, time. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, yeah. I think of myself as a 90s kid to a large extent, but I was, you know, six mm. when the 90s ended. Um, so I'm not really, but still. Yeah. Also, an argument for getting off the internet. Yeah. Um. Yeah, like I said, all, all said, in the end, it's, it ends up being pretty simplistic, but that didn't bother me because I liked the message of it. Mm. At least what I took to be the message of it. And and how that was delivered as well. And how it was delivered. Because, yeah, you, despite, like um, like you said, occasional on-the-nose dialogue, mm-hmm. the film never feels preachy. No, never, because, again, you, can, you can't come down on either side of it. Yeah. It definitely fits the criteria of too long. Yeah, two and a half hours, basically... And, yeah, and, yeah. I was kind of done with it by the two-hour mark. Yeah, um, I would agree. Yeah. Not done. I never got bored, but it could have been cut definitely. Yeah. Uh, and I'm such a fan of his visuals. I just kind of drank it in. Mm. So I also have more of that. Yeah. You know, uh, I can't see myself rewatching it, but that's okay. I got what I needed out of it. Got mm. everything I needed. I think it's currently seventy-five percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and it deserves a little bit higher than that. Okay. Would you agree with that? Um, I. Th- I th- I think maybe the length is probably what brought it down a little bit. Yeah. Because um, I was really enjoying it for a while. And then, like I said, by two hours, I was kind of starting to become aware that the runtime was bothering me a bit. Yeah, yeah. So I think, yeah, if they, if he was if he managed to get it down to even just like a tight two hours. Yeah. Um, which I don't feel like is out of the question. No, 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 no. Like, I, there's there's nothing that's... Well, the thing is, it's because... That, the- like, extraneous, but there's, there's stuff that could probably get trimmed. Our review hasn't really kind of expressed the fact that most of the film is is six people in a house kind of not trusting each other. Yeah. There are set pieces. There are set pieces, but like the whole end of the world thing that like that's obviously what's driving everything. And yeah. it's not it's not that it's not plot heavy, mm. but it's mostly about people in a house and kind of being suspicious of each other and not knowing what's yeah going on. So yeah, some of that could be trimmed, definitely. But you know, I liked it. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I I liked it too. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, I guess it's a recommendation. We recommend it. Yeah. Okay, the killer you mentioned oh, Fincher. Yes, David Fincher's yeah. uh, latest film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it stars Michael Fassbender, mm-hmm. and there's even a guest appearance by Michael Fassbender's dialogue. Yes, in the in the film. <laughs> um, yeah, there's so the the premise basically because um, it is a basic premise. Mm-hmm. Um, it was based on a graphic novel, I think. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's about uh, Michael Fassbender plays a contract killer. Mm-hmm. He's on a job in the beginning, and that job goes wrong. And as a result, his employer, they rough up his partner. Yeah. And he goes out to take revenge on the people that are responsible. Yeah, I think the idea is that they're going to kill him now, because he's kind of a loose end, and you fucked up, and yeah. that's just what happens. Yeah, basically. And yeah. that is genuinely the film. The that's film- the film. Yeah. Weirdly, also like Leave the World Behind, the film is divided into parts, into chapters. Yeah, chapters, yeah. And each chapter takes place in a different country across the world. Yeah. And chasing a different target each time. Yeah, it's kind of hitman y in that sense. Yeah. Like the game, you know, in the yeah. uh, different location to kind of figure out what do I need for this. Yeah. Kind of, you know, there's, um, there's a lot of voiceover. Smets. Oh, okay. Oh, there's a lot of Smiths. <laughs> is it just Smiths he listens yeah, yeah. to? Yeah, just Smiths. Yeah, because it looked like, when he's scrolling through his like uh, his music, it looks like he's got quite the collection, but he only, he listens, only listens to, to Smith Smiths songs. Yeah. Um, I think that could be said for a lot of uh, Smiths. <laughs> probably, yeah. yeah. 
Uh, yeah, so there's um, uh, yeah, there's a lot of voiceover from Michael mm. Fassbender. Uh, him kind of like talking himself by extension, you through his process. Yeah, his philosophy, as his philosophy, view, yeah. and how he kind of deals with the job. I mean, that first job that he's on, it's basically fifteen minutes of him waiting for the target to show yeah, up. Yeah, just lying down and... Lying down, yeah, and, yeah, and kind of like... Exercising. Expl- yeah, and explaining yeah. what he's doing and everything. And then finally the guy shows up and he doesn't even kill the right guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is funny. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, I think it's probably better to think of this as a silent film. Because there is, like, characters speak, there is dialogue yeah, yeah. in it, and like I said, there is a lot of voiceover in it. But when I think of the film, I just think of Michael Fassbender in a place getting ready to do something. I, I agree. I wouldn't go as far to th- say to think of it as a silent film in the way that you would say Wally. No, no, no. Um, yeah. it, but I, I, like, it's, it's a very austere film. Yeah. But, it, I mean, there's so much inter- narration, internal monologuing, yeah. that, okay, he's not actually saying much, but he's saying a lot to us. Yeah. But yeah, no, in practice, yeah, on screen, it's just him going about his business very methodically. Yeah, because that's the thing. All of the, pretty much all of the um, the voiceover is dedicated to his, like you said, his philosophy and his yeah. thought process. Um, he never explains what he's doing. No, no, no. There's like a moment where he's on a plane going back to, uh, I think it's the Dominican Republic. Mm-hmm. And he sees a guy on the plane with him and he just looks really suspicious of him. Mm-hmm. So when he goes to the airport, he like cancels his flight, gets himself a hotel for the night, and then sets up basically like this. He orders room service, and he puts like the cloche underneath the door, and he puts like a mechanism on the door so that if someone tries to open the door, yeah, um, it'll like create a noise. And he doesn't explain anything about what he's doing. No, but yeah, from yeah. that you infer like, oh, he suspects that guy's an assassin, and to make sure that he's not, he's like protecting himself. Yeah, it's not like... He's creating a trap for him. Yeah, it's not like Dexter, where it's kind of, oh, I'm in this circumstance now. Yeah. It is very much... No, he's doing one thing and kind of just passing the time in yeah. his head with it, other things. In that respect, it's almost like a Bourne film happening very, very slowly, where yeah, well, like, Jason it, Bourne's just in the field, something happens and he reacts to it. Yeah, and, and it's so... I get He's so polished at it that he's thinking about just other stuff. Yeah. You know? On one level, it's the kind of script written by an 18-year-old. Okay. Um, Which is like no, well, no substance at all. It's just... Oh, no, I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's insubstantial, but it's it's all existential musings about the meaninglessness of life. and Right. With a Smith soundtrack. Yeah. It's exactly the kind of thing you'd write in school. Yeah. Know? On another, it's John Wick with more class. Mm. On another, it's what a Fincher Bond movie might look like. Uh, it's very by the numbers narratively, like we've said. However, it's Fincher, so he elevates it. Yeah, absolutely. With yeah. his style and his professionalism. That's the word for Fincher, isn't it? Professional. Yeah, professionalism. Yeah, and yeah. yes, this. Yeah, despite the fact that uh, he fucks up he fucks more than up. once. Yeah. Um, yeah, he conducts himself very professionally, even when he's out seeking revenge. Yeah, he's so methodical in preparing, like how he's gonna. The, you know, the path that he's going to take to get to this guy, how he's going to kill him, how he's going to dispose of him. Yeah. Um, and even when it goes wrong, he's able to kind of, like, roll with it. Yeah. You know, and, and work with his contingencies. The Samurai is very much the film that's always in the background of these things. You know, these assassin on his own, kind of going about his business and kind of musing about life hmm. sort of things. Uh, Fastbender's costume for part of the film is a uh, reference back to the Samurai. Right. 
Um, the German tourist outfit. The white coat and yeah. the bucket hat. Yeah, he calls yeah, it yeah. the German tourist. The German tourist, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just a pleasure to see such a methodical depiction of a methodical character yeah. being all methodical. <laughs> um, it's kind of nice as well that like it almost feels like the film is like really committed to kind of showing the tedium of yeah. a job, like not romanticizing it at all. No, no, not at all. Like you really are stuck with him in that like abandoned room where he's like stretching and he's like sleeping on that really uncomfortable well, surface. Thing, whenever you see any cop show and there's a rookie and they're on a stakeout with a more veteran detective, mm. they'll always say, I'm bored. because hey, this is 50% of the job, kid. You'll mm. get in. It, it, there's always that line. Yeah. And it's true, like being an assassin as well. Like most of the job is going to be waiting and watching and, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah, despite the frequent internal monologuing, you never get much of an insight into the character. Mm. Uh, but that's by design, definitely. Yeah. He's meant to be a bit uh, a cipher. Even though he's telling you his worldview, it doesn't really tell you anything about him other no. than he's cold and he's kind of detached. But yeah. you don't know anything about him personally. Michael Fassbender is just eminently watchable. Yeah. Uh, very physical performance, despite being such a button-down one. It's very controlled, like everything else in the film. Yeah. Yeah, it's very austere, empty almost, but that was fine with me. <laughs> uh, it doesn't demand a rewatch, like I would say Leave the World Behind. Yeah. And I have no inclination to do so at the, you know, at the moment. I have my fill, because there's nothing to be digested. Yeah. You know, it is what it is. It's a slick well-made bit of filmmaking that I lapped up and then it was over. Yeah, no, I pre- I basically agree. I mean, I think this does run at pretty much a tight two hours. Yeah. But this one could have been like an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always like, but, yeah. But most films than... could be shorter. Yeah, um, but, but this really we'll does... that to play again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we will. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, this one definitely feels like, for what it is, yeah, two hours is probably just like a little bit like, by the time you get to, like, I think it's, like, chapter five or six when he's on to, like, the third guy. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay, where's, wh- what are we doing now? Especially since, like, he spends most of the end of the film in America. Yeah. So, so the uh, scenery starts becoming less diverse, even though it's, like, Florida and Chicago and, you know. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it, it, it's a B-movie, really. It's But it's with an A, a director, yeah. you know, and... Um... With class, you know, like it's John Wick with class, but but it is a B movie, yeah. And B movies are short, yeah. But I think because it's a classy director and because it's like, oh, he's the kind of director that wins awards and that sort, it couldn't be hour and a half. Mm. That's just the way people think now. Right. Uh, there's a great fight scene, yeah, a really good fight scene, yeah. Some criticism's been leveled at the product placement in the film. There's quite a lot of products, but I had no problem with that at all because it's matter of fact. Yeah, like everything is like no, that's just. I'm, I'm actually trying to think of. Oh, like I think there's some fed Amazon. There's Amazon stuff in it. Uh, he orders some of Amazon. You've oh, seen. Well, but it no, makes, but I know that. Yeah, it, it makes perfect sense. That's what people do. The they order yeah. stuff off Amazon. Yeah, uh, it's the same as the Sopranos. Like when he opens his cupboard and you see a product, it's like, well, yeah, people have yeah Bisto in their cupboard. But it's the thing. Know? Like I, I think I remember. Yeah, in in that first 15 minute period, he goes to, like McDonald's. Yeah. And he says that, like, he basically talks about the merits to go into McDonald's in that line of work because mm. they serve so many people a day. Yeah, they're not going to remember anything. Yeah. So it's like, oh, that actually makes perfect sense. But also, it's McDonald's, Amazon, you know, FedEx. It's not like boutique companies that they're wedging in. It's no. companies that are utterly ubiquitous to everyday life. Yeah. You know, like to say, oh, we shouldn't have McDonald's in it because, you know. Mm. Like, well, no, every fucker goes to McDonald's. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a step down for Fincher in terms of substance. 
definitely in terms of substance okay and originality it's it's a bit like burn after reading in that it's fincher on a quiet day yeah but that's fine if this was all he made i think i'd have more of a problem with it yeah but it isn't so no it definitely feels after mank as well this feels like a kind of uh yeah uh like a in-between project yeah something smaller something far more manageable um, yeah, there's just a bit, to kind of keep his keep himself, you know, in the game. There was a little bit of I'm I don't know why he was attracted to this project because it's so simple. Mm. But maybe that's what it was. The guy who wrote it is was the writer of Seven. Ah, right. So like a reunion between those two, but it's nothing like Seven. No, no, term, no there's no. no none of that depth or kind no. of you know. Uh, it's a shallow film, but shallow in a good way, shallow in the best way. Mm. Um, that's kind of it. Yeah, that's the thing. Because, yeah. because of its shallowness, there isn't much to talk about. Yeah. Another recommendation, though. Yes, I would, I would agree with that. Okay. The Fall of the House of Usher. Oh, we're doing that now? Yeah, I think when you see what we're ending with, I think it'll make more sense. To <laughs> <That's> okay. <laughs> All right, then. Um, yeah. Okay. okay. Oh, fuck. I guess I got a premise. This yeah, with the, if we're following the pattern. Okay, so it's an Mike Flanagan joint on Netflix. Yes. His annual joint, his annual TV show. Yeah. Uh, you say that is he not? Is he doing one next year? I don't know about a TV show. But he's doing a film, isn't he? And he's doing The Dark Tower, so maybe that'll be next year. Okay. The Fall House of Usher is an adaptation of Edgar Allan Poe's bibliography. Bibliography. Basically. Yeah, it's, it's not just Usher. Uh, it kind of tries to get them all in there. Yeah. In essence, it's about a family, the Ushers, headed by Roderick Usher, who is the CEO of a pharmaceutical company, mm. and his sister. And his children start dying. And that's kind of it. I mean, not it, there's a lot more, but in terms yeah. of the plot, that's, you know, why is that happening? And then we yeah. go back into his past and we examine how he got to where he is and why what's going on is what is going on. Yeah, and each child the way in which they die is taken from a short story by Poe. So, yeah, yeah, or, back- or, or like the, so like other Flanagan works, it's kind of episodic, not strictly, yeah. but it, it kind of each child gets uh, their episode. Yeah. And their story will be a loose adaptation of a Poe story. Yeah, so... Uh, so sometimes and- it's literally just the manner of death. Yeah. Sometimes it's the episode in general. Yeah. 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 Yeah, you should you the you you gestured there. I um, did, yeah. Cause I didn't know if I wanted to say this early, but yeah, the pendulum. Yeah, the, pit, yeah, the, pendulum. the pendulum. Yeah, so it could be something as as yeah, the, the connection can be as loose as that. Yeah, was basically just the way that he dies. Yeah, or you could have an episode like the Black Cat, which I think is pretty much that story. Yes, unfolding basically it, as it was. Yeah, in a modern context. Yeah. So it's been compared to Succession quite a bit. With yeah, the, Edgar Allan Poe by way of Succession. Yeah, which is an obvious comparison and an understandable one, but there's really little overlap beyond the idea of a corrupt dynastic family empire. Well, also this is, um, I think probably the most overtly comedic project that Flanagan has undertaken. I think I've said before on previous episodes that I'm not thrilled with the notion that Flanagan is referred to and thought of as a horror filmmaker. Mm -hmm. He certainly like, like, you know, that's in every project that he's done. That's the window dressing. That's the window dressing, yeah. and he is very much a horror fan. Yes. But I think the thing that I don't like about it is that it feels like the horror... Like, when you say horror, mm-hmm. you think scary. Like, I, you think yeah. of something... No, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you think of, like, a horror thing, and you're like, oh, the point is the horror. 
Whereas with the Flanagan project, it feels like the horror is there to drive the drama. The horror is not the point. Mm -hmm. The horror is kind of a means to get to the drama. I think he's burdened by the fact that horror, generally speaking, means shit. Right. Shitty. Like, most horror films are shitty. Yeah. Um, Most films are not great, but most horror films are shitty. They're a couple a year. Because they they very much have that philosophy of, well... Jump. Yeah, the whole point is to scare people. Yeah, and that's fine. Like, scare is good, but there are different ways of doing it. Yeah, whereas it was, like I said, with his projects, it's more, um, oh, how can I use horror to kind of excavate the drama and, like, the, 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 you know, the... The the characters are very much the center of what he does. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of, like, his most horrific stuff is just very sad. Yeah, I I don't think it demeans... Uh, what he does to call it horror because they are all the genre is horror with all the stuff he's done yeah uh if it's it's not the flavor then it's the you know the window dressing yeah it doesn't mean horror i would say he elevates horror no he certainly does yeah uh because you know there's loads of great horror in every media yeah um every medium historically but yes nowadays if you go oh he's a horror that's why a lot of so-called horror fans that aren't actually horror fans aren't big fans of his work mm. because these white girls in their 20s they they really mean insidious and yeah the conjuring like jumps yeah know, like, something to make, yeah exactly um well that's not a horror fan no but but like so yeah in the case of Usher, that i really feel like this is the furthest we've stretched that label for him like i yes. would i would even go as far as to say that the fall of the house of usher it doesn't feel like a horror show to me it's the it, least horror it feels yeah. like a drama that has comedic and horrific elements. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. There are like there are long stretches of uh, runtime per episode where there's just no threat of you being scared. Well, that's the thing. With The Haunting of Hill House and more so, but also with Midnight Mass, even if we would say, well, they're dramas with in a kind of horror context, yeah. they at least re- look... Like hor- like especially um, Hill House. Yeah, it's a haunted house. There are ghosts. The the, the kind of um, the coldness of the visuals. Yeah, it looks and feels like horror, like a ghost horror. And Midnight Mass, the vampire, the vampires. You know, yeah, it's like it's it's there's a lot of blood. It's in the context of it looks like a horror. Yeah, this doesn't as much. This yeah, you're right. It's the furthest from any of that stuff. Yeah, there are moments, obviously. Yeah, uh, but like a but lot, generally speaking, yeah, a lot of this takes place in extravagant, yeah. rich people environments, apartment blocks, and and boardrooms and churches, yeah. and yeah, it's not it. Yeah, it doesn't have as much of the dressing of of of, uh, of something horrific as yeah. previous things. And another thing that it shares with Succession is that it has comedy, but the comedy here is a lot broader than yes. Succession. Yeah, uh, and less natural. Totally, of course, all of it is less naturalistic. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked it. Yeah. It's it's not as episodic as I anticipated it would mm. be, uh, which I appreciated. However, its schematic nature does risk staleness. Well, this is okay. So yeah, this is the thing. You've got the first episode feels like it's kind of rushing almost because it's trying to set up a lot of things very quickly. Yeah, it sets up the kind of framing device for the rest of the show, which is. Bruce Greenwood's the mm-hmm. uh, the head of the Usher family. Yeah, Roderick Usher. Roderick Usher. He is in his child dilapidated uh, childhood home, confessing to a detective mm-hmm. that he has known most of his life and has always managed to evade. Yes. 
and then yeah it kind of flashes but there's uh, it, again kind of like hill house it's taking place in almost like three different time periods yeah you've got the modern day where he's like talking to this detective you've got the last like couple of weeks where his children have been dying one by one yes and then you've got when he was a child well not when he was a child when he was a young man making his way in the yeah company. when he was kind of like how he kind of made his way into the company yes. initially with his um sister, sister. Yeah, and so like it sets all of that up. It like shows them as children. It kind of explains what happened to their mother, which is also like that's a post story mm-hmm. as well, isn't it? Like her being buried and then digging herself up. Yes. And, yeah, all of this stuff gets set up very quickly, and then it very much settles into a pattern. Yeah, every, a very rigid pattern. A very rigid pattern. Every episode is about a specific child, mm-hmm. and the episode always ends with their death. Their death. Again, like you said, kind of like Hill House. Hill House is very episodic in the sense that it was every episode belonged to a different character. Yeah. Um, like the first five belonged to every child. And then you had the sixth episode, which was kind of everybody's. And then the father's episode and everything like that. Yeah. But what the thing with Hill House is that Hill House was one story told from multiple perspectives. It's a mosaic. It's a, yeah. Every episode's a piece of the story. Exactly. Yeah. So even though there's a, predict- a predictable pattern in the sense that this is Luke's episode, this is Nell's episode, yeah. anything could happen within those episodes because it's unique to that character. Yeah. The horror is unique to that character because every character is kind of haunted by a different monster. Yes. With Usher, it's multiple stories being told from one perspective. Yeah. Because he's always telling the story of his children and how they died. And so every episode, is, like I said, it, it follows the same pattern. It kind of has the same voice. In that respect, it, it's it's less interesting than Hill House. Well, it's it's because it's very very inevitable. Yeah, where that show is going. Well, it, yeah, yeah, like you know from the like from the very beginning, it's like, look, all my children are dead. Yes. I'm basically, like, turning myself in. This is the end for me. I'm going to tell you what happened. You can make a good guess, yeah, but you can also make a good guess what's going to happen after we see all the children's deaths as well. Yeah. You know know exactly where it's going. And that's the thing. When you have... There's eight children, right? Six. Sorry, six children. Eight episodes. Eight episodes, six children, yeah, yeah. Uh, When you have that very rigid pattern of, okay, their story, then they die, their story, then they die... If you have any experience in watching TV, you start kind of... They always say the audience is five steps ahead of you, right? Yeah. So you're thinking, right, when will, will this get subverted? Yeah. When does someone not die? Or, or he just thinks they've died? Yeah. Or when, you know... Uh, and that never happens. No. So it ends up all just being very... Okay. Yeah. It's just playing out. It also means that the weaker episodes feel weaker because of it. Yeah. Well, you're always just waiting to see how they die, right? Ultimately, yeah. like, is it going to be a fun death? Yeah, um, and it is. It is unfortunate. I, in my, for for my money, anyway, the best death is the first one. I would agree. Some are more horrific, more colourful, more inventive, yeah. like that first one. Yeah, and then there are some that are bland, like Samantha Sloyans is kind of. Eh. Well, that, okay, so that was the one that was like. I thought that one was okay because that was the one that made me think, oh, maybe not all of the deaths are going to be really bland. Maybe I'm just conflating it with her episode then. Which yeah, it wasn't bland. the strongest yeah, yeah. episode, yeah, yeah. but I thought her death was... was, was okay. Considering well, like how she died, I thought it was interesting. Okay, well, Kate Siegel has a pretty good death. Um, yeah, like I said, the, what's the name of the, the kid? I, can't, I don't know his name. No idea. Yeah. But uh, the actor or the character? Either will do. Oh, I've got it down here somewhere. It's... Pr- Pr- um, Petruccio? Pedro. Oh, um... Philomar. Prospero? Prospero, I think is yeah, yeah Prospero. Yeah, yeah that's, Harry the, or something. Yeah, that's yeah, the, yeah. probably the best one. It's the most creative one. Yes. The Kate Siegel one comes next. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. 
Then it kind of the next couple are a bit crap. Uh, a dip, and then you got but the last one, which is okay. I was waiting for that. Yeah, but all just how contrived it is. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so as an adaptation of several Poe works, and I admire him for that. That he's like, no, I'm going to do the definitive. Yeah, I'm going to get it all in there. It does sometimes feel like the stories are being not shoved. But right. inorganically inserted into the narrative. Right. So the black cat would be the exemplar for me. Yeah. It's like, okay, he's doing the black cat. It's got nothing to do with yeah. anything else. It's difficult to make six children equally interesting, and I appreciate that. He didn't have to do that. No. But Tania Miller is the closest to being virtuous. Yeah. But as a result, she's comparatively boring. So therefore ends up being unlikable. I think I just find Tania Miller boring in general. She is very boring. Considering how transformative Kate Siegel has proven herself to be in... Because that's the thing. Kate Siegel, Flanagan's partner. Yeah. She, he could just like put her in a project and like, oh, there you go. Kind of yeah, like yeah. Um, Helena Bohm Carter's just like, oh, just do that. Yeah, just take do. it easy. Yeah, yeah. But no, like she's always playing a very different character. Yeah. Um, what's the name of the the guy in the Black Cat episode? Rahul Coley. Yeah, very different in every Flanagan project he's been in. They're very yeah. chameleonic, even though they're regulars. Yes. And yet Tania Miller, even outside of Flanagan's work, she's always exactly the fucking same. I don't think I've seen her anything else. Um, she was the same in Doctor Who. There was like oh, a, she in Doctor Who. Yeah, she was the same, exactly the same in Doctor Who. There was like another program as well where again she was like she looked the same, she sounded the same. It's like you're just the same person. Okay. Yeah, I don't see a character. I just see you in a I bad think way. There's probably it doesn't help that she's bald. Mm. Um, yeah, I wonder if she's got like a thing, like a like a, like a thing where she's like I'm I'm bald. I, well, won't, I, I won't put on a wig. I won't allow you to make I, me look I like wonder, a different person. I wonder whether it's a rider, so to speak, that, yes, yeah, she says, I'm bald, or whether they're like, oh, black, bald woman, like, we can't ask her to put on a wig. <laughs> right. Do you know what I mean? Like, we're not even going to go there. Like, yeah. Not even for any good reason, but just, oh, uh, would it be seen as disrespectful or something if we ask her to wig? Yeah, but, but I think she's not helped by that, that if she wore a wig, yeah. uh, if she had hair, it could be done differently. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. It, you know, that's unfortunate. But yeah, she doesn't do anything else either. She I doesn't mean, change her accent. She doesn't... No, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she's always the same. And I, I can't help but think, like, just as an actor, yeah, would you not feel compelled... To yeah, different. When, yeah, when, when you're... Well, when you're alongside Kate Siegel and Henry Thomas, mm. who's got a little ponytail, yes. and he's a right piece of work in this. And, he, and his voice is different without his accent being different. Yeah, like, yeah. again, they've transformed themselves. Yeah, yeah. Is there not part of you that think, that feels like you're the odd one out? Chuck a wig on, yeah, yeah. Because she certainly does seem like the odd one out. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, that's like because she's the good one. She's the closest to being a good one. Yeah. But because that's boring, you don't like her. Yeah. So it kind of has the opposite <laughs> effect. Yeah. Uh, Samantha Sloyan, while fine, was surprisingly bland. Well, she's Bev. And she's always going to be Bev. I know. But and I, every time you put her in something and she's not Bev... It's going to be a letdown. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I think if he'd capped it at four, um, four kids, there would have been four colourful characters. And if you merged elements of the other two into those four, mm. and it would be much more effective. Six, yeah. I think, was stretching it. Yeah. Four, you have four good characters in there. Yeah. Bruce Greenwood is a reliable screen presence. He's pretty much my favourite thing in it. Yeah. Plays his part very well. Uh, Henry Thomas, Kate Siegel, Raul Coley. Yeah, a lot of fun. Uh, the first of whom was the most likeable, definitely. Yeah. Henry Thomas. Um, Sarian Sapkota plays the part of Prospero. Okay. Uh, he plays the part right, but I hate him. 
Well, yeah. Because of who he is. And yeah, 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 and yeah, of course, yeah. Ruth Cod was an unusual choice to play the new bride. <laughs> like, I get it because the angle is that she's basically a walking advertisement for the drug that his company makes. Yeah. So it's more that she's a rebuttal, a lot of human get-out-of-jail-free card than a trophy wife. Mm. But she just doesn't have the look. But yeah. again, is that is that part of it? Is that is this supposed to be this this kind of implied, like, this is what he had to settle for? I know that. He's but that you, desperate. Yeah, but you don't get that from the performances, really. Like, she's just goofy. Yeah. She plays it really goofy, and he, it's like she's a weird niece. Like, she doesn't feel like his wife at all. And I know you could argue that's the point. Yeah. But I think they didn't have to cast a proper trophy wife type. But she's too kooky, I think. They could have just cast someone bland. Someone that's not particularly attractive and someone bland. But she's kind of... She plays the comedy very broadly. Okay. And... um, To the point where you feel like... If the point was supposed to be that she's kind of not the ideal wife, mm. that gets lost because of the comedy? I think it gets lost that she sticks out and it's like why is she there not that why would he have married him more that why would she have agreed to it right you know what I mean I don't know it's she was it was a bit out of place and I don't like her anyway okay Flanagan has faced praise and criticism for his monologues in the past which I have historically defended Mm -hmm. Uh, but Hill House Midnight Mass are much more serious works much more spiritual works Um, he put everything he had into the latter especially uh, that was like his magnum opus treatise on life, yeah. death, and the universe. So I have time for beautifully written soliloquies. Yeah, There are a few Usher that I enjoyed. The Lemon one uh, is a highlight mm. for me. But overall, I felt they were misplaced. Well, it, yeah, they just feel less... Um, yeah, they feel less weighty, I suppose. Yeah. I, I know that, like, to some people, he is dealing with important things in terms of, like, Big Pharma and the yeah. rich and... Uh, exploitation of the public and, and and all that kind of stuff. I know they are mm-hmm. they they are big important things. Yeah, but they're not life and death and the nature of the universe. No, and is you know faith and these incredibly like big lofty themes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it it does feel like a bit of a downgrade going from what characters think happens to them after they die to think like oh rich people exploiting the public that's a bad thing. Yeah, I'm listening. I'm okay with it. Because, not, I mean, I didn't like it in this, but overall, broadly, because he got to make his pro- his passion project. Yeah, and it was a masterpiece. Um, you know, I'm with Mike from the Red Letter Media. Yeah, thing where he's like, it's the the height of humanity's achievement. Yeah, we may as well just stop. Let's now. just stop, and that's fine. We can't expect Midnight Mass every time. Yeah, uh, we might. It might be unfair to expect it again. Um, I'm such a fan of that show. Like, yeah. I I can't really demand more mm. that was a special thing and that's fine because he's still making good things they're just not midnight mass yeah but he's a wordy bloke and i appreciate that because as are my as am i as are we i suppose but the scene for instance in which griswold which is Roderick, who is Roderick's boss when he's younger mm. explains the benefit of looking the other way that's a trope that we all know and recognize uh the corruption of the corporate world yeah. and being a team player, quote unquote. So that monologue is just a protraction of that idea rather than an expansion or spin or deepening mm. on it. I know the show isn't necessarily going for subtle, but I think those conversations in the real world are probably much more taciturn. Mm. 
and implied. So, um, and much more effective that way as well. So he starts off by saying, I drive a Ferrari, what do you drive? And then he goes into the spiel. That would have done. Yeah. I drive Ferrari, what do you drive? Okay, I get it. He's bribing him, yeah. essentially. They put Gerald's game on the screen at one point. Come on now. Oh, did they? Yeah, yeah. Did not that. notice that. Yeah, no. Gerald's game is on. Uh, there's a nice symmetry to the final death being set in motion by the first. I yeah, like I wish that. there was more of that. More of that. Because none of the other deaths are connected. They are all pretty much in isolation. Yeah, if each story slash death had affected the others in that way, it would the whole thing would have been much better. I guess the only other one you could draw a connection between is, is Kate Siegel and uh, Tania Miller because yeah, yeah, yeah. Kate Siegel dies going to one of Tania, uh, Tania Miller's facilities. Yeah. But it's not set in motion by No, her, it's really. just like, yeah, another character's area kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah, it would have been more cohesive, I think, if that had been the case. Unless, you know, Bitty. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it would have it would have kind of justified having these um, separate stories if they, they did overlap a lot more. Yeah, like Hill House. Yeah. The show is all ultimately in the service of saying that billionaires shouldn't exist. Mm. Uh, it's an attack on big pharma and big money, generally speaking. I'm not really with the series in that way. Okay. We're meant to dislike the Ushers, and I do. But most of them are just self-centered and vapid. They don't deserve the wrath of Carla Gugino. Yes, who we'll get to. Yeah. While I don't think we're invited to relish their deaths, we are somewhat expected to believe they're justified. But one can't help being born into wealth and privilege, if, you, if you're going to look at it that way. Yeah. And I'm not anti-wealth. I'm not anti-billionaire. Roderick and Madeline do deserve it. Mm. Fair enough. But it's not that the Raven, Carla Gugino, yeah. targeted immoral rich people. It just seemed like rich people across the board. Oh, we'll get, we'll, we'll get into it yeah, now yeah. then. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I'll just finish this little point here. I don't know how, philosoph- so I don't know how philosophically aligned I am with the show. And I, well, yeah, I suppose this is what you were getting into. I don't know why this apparent supernatural moralist would offer that deal to them in the first place. Yeah, well, I think it, it undermines the show in in a way because yeah, the na- yeah the nature of the spoilers. Yeah, spoilers. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the kind of yeah the overarching the thing that sets everything in motion is when they are young and they are trying to yeah. make a name for themselves in the the, the the company. They make a Faustian bargain, don't yes, they? Yes, with uh, kind of Carlo Cugino, who's this kind of mysterious figure, which I think was, is the Raven, basically. The Raven, but like, whatever that means. Yeah. Just some death, essentially. Yeah, some otherworldly figure yeah. that has otherworldly powers. And it's the old story, like, oh, I will give you riches and whatever, but yeah. the deal is that... What was the, the, the your children? Yeah, so she's basically said, you can live exactly the life you want. Yeah. Without consequence. But when it, you reach the nat- end of your natural lives, mm-hmm. I will eradicate your entire bloodline. Yes. So all of your children and their children will die. There will be no more ashes. But until yeah. that point, you can live a life of no consequence and total riches. Yeah. And so it's kind of, okay, so it's about the reaping of souls then. The devil wants more souls, you know, whatever the devil, whatever she is. Well, is it? Well, that's the thing. That's, that is the Faustian bargain. The Faustian bargain is, right, I make you a deal, but I get your soul, yeah. right? But her deal is, I, I kill your bloodline, mm. not just in exchange for your having wealth and power, but the death of millions of innocent people. That's the thing, because she, she kind of... Yeah, she is the one that kind of enables the ushers 
to live yeah. this life. If that's what she wants, if it's the devil, like, ha ha ha, I tricked you, as the devil always does. Yeah. And um, I've also managed to reap millions of other souls because of this deal. Yeah. Fine. But she's punishing them for it. That's she, the thing. She yeah. is chastising them. Yeah, for the show done. kind of treats her almost as like the moral center. Of she, yeah, she is the moral center of the show. Yeah, because yeah, there's that moment where she kind of makes the bodies of those that Asha's medicine has killed. Mm-hmm. She makes them rain from the sky, and it's like millions of of people. And yeah, she's like, look at what you've done, and it's like. But you... Yeah. He could only do that because of you. And it's not as if they exploited her deal. She said, you can live a life of no consequence. Whatever you do, Mm -hmm. you won't be caught, you won't be punished. Well, the argument would be, right, so the idea would be that billionaires make a deal with the devil to be billionaires. That would be the philosophy of it, right? I I don't agree with it, but, like, to be that rich, you have to step on people and whatever. Obviously, a lot of billionaires do. But... That would be the fundamental axiom of the show. Billionaires make deals with the devil. Right, okay. So billionaires are scum. Mm. But they are still the devil. Okay, so we have two problems there. Yeah. There wasn't really... The granddaughter was the closest thing we we got to, like, a hero. Yeah. But obviously she then also has to die. Yeah. But the devil kind of... The raven regrets having to kill her. Which is... Yes, which is interesting because... <laughs> yeah, well, she's beholden to herself. I don't like it. She yeah, have, it's her she rule. Didn't, <laughs> she didn't have to kill her. But not only that, like the first couple of deaths, I initially thought the idea was that whoever she was, the raven... Yeah. Which she, you never know, by the way. No, you never know. You never yeah. find out who she is. Yeah, she is just this kind of yeah. unknown power. I thought the twist was going to be that... Because, yeah, your assumption is, very quickly, is that she's responsible for, for their deaths. Yes. I thought the twist was going to be that she wasn't. I thought the twist was going to be that she's trying to save them. Right. Because Prospero kind of gets her in a room on her own at one point, and they're kind of flirting with each other. Mm-hmm. And she kind of says to him, you can stop this. Yes. Like, you know, you, you just stop this party, go home, you can save yourself. But she has to kill him. So why is she giving him the opportunity to stop? Yeah, it's just the same that, thing with Kate that, Siegel as well. When she's trying yeah. to go into the facility, she's like, you know, you don't have to go in. But she ends up killing her. Well, <laughs> it's I, I'm all for ambiguities, you know, but it, it kind of, it falls apart when you don't know exactly what she's up to because yeah. I don't know whether I'm with you or not then. I don't know what yeah. the idea is. As you, you know. say, it either, she either needed to be, it either needed to be a case where she tricked the ushers into harvesting souls on her behalf. Yeah. So she is... <laughs> yeah, she is the true villain of the show, yeah. more so than the ushers. Yeah. And then maybe you could twist that to like, oh, billionaires don't realise the consequences of the deals that they make. Yeah, yeah, And it's yeah. Like, it, like, even if they are repentant, it's far too late. Yes. Or the billion, like the ushers make this de- deal, this perfectly innocent deal with her, mm-hmm. and they twist it in such a way that they are able to accumulate riches and they are able to avoid circumstance and and so she does become like she's doing this out of revenge basically because it's like you yeah. like twisted my deal just think she is not the villain of the show the ashes are the villains they're unlikable yeah snotty you know evil she's not the villain i think it would have worked better had yeah she is a villain but it's like you know humanity is we're our own worst enemy kind of thing we are evil yeah uh she just kind of preyed on our selfishness and our you know whatever yeah and then, like, maybe end it with the granddaughter, her offering the granddaughter a Faustian bargain, which the granddaughter does not accept. And you're like, okay, that's how you break the... Yeah. Which, it's not about being selfish. So what she did with Mark Hamill, then, but with the granddaughter. Right. Yeah, give a sec... Because Mark Hamill is just... He's part of the 
cadre. He's yeah, not, you he's know. kind of something that led to nothing as well. Yeah, he's meant to be this. He's this enigmatic, shady fixer. Yeah, like even the wiki article, it says it said something like Mark Hamill plays blah 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 a char- Arthur Pym, um, yeah. a character that is well suited to staying in the shadows. Yes. So you're like, oh, okay, he's in on it. Somehow. That's a secret bad guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not. And he comports himself like a secret bad guy as well. Yeah. But he ends up being... I guess the twist is that he's not. Yeah, he's just a guy. He's just a guy. And, and that he doesn't take the deal. Yeah. But I think... Had and been she, offered... like, respects him for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it can't be a case of, oh, she needs people to... She's making these deals with people... Why is she making deals with these people? Yeah, she doesn't uh, need to. Yeah, if because we she's happy that Mark Hamill didn't take the deal. So what's she trying to prove? And if who, we, yeah, who, yeah, who is she trying to prove it to? Yeah, if we don't know what she's playing at, then it's hard to really know and to get to the heart of the show. You know, well, it's hard but, to, to make any uh, definitive like declarations about what the show is saying because you yeah. don't know what the force that is setting everything in motion once and you don't yeah. know where they stand within the story it's not very thought through which is a shame for Flanagan yeah um, it's better than Bly Manor it's better than Midnight Club yeah it's not as good as Hill House and Midnight Mass no it's firmly in the middle firmly yeah I don't think it's closer to any of those two two pairs it is right in the middle yeah I think that's it I think that's all I've got for Usher yeah um, is it a recommendation if you like Flanagan you'll get something out of it yeah, I think you'll like it. Yeah, I, um, it doesn't quite feel bad enough or just kind of whatever enough to be like, oh, if you're a Flanagan completionist, you may as well. No, it's a bit better than that. Yeah, it, but I mean, watch Hill House first, watch Midnight Mass first. Yes, don't start with this. No. Yeah. Or, or do. You? Yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. thing. Start should with it and start? then graduate. It's difficult, isn't it? Because it's like, do you start with the, the worst stuff first? Yeah. And risk being alienated, or do you start with the best and then, or do you start with Usher, really like it, and then not like the other two because they're not like Usher? You know, there there, there are people, unfortunately, that are going to love Usher and not like Midnight Mass or Hill House. Yeah, I know people that everyone loves Hill House. That seems to be unanimous. Yeah, everyone, loads of people don't like Midnight Mass. Well, they're, yeah, they no, they're, they're insane. Fools. Yeah, fools. Yeah, I know, like personally, two at least two people that. Loved Hill House, yeah. but didn't really get on board with Midnight Mass. Well, it's 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 a different. The, what's good about it is different, isn't it? Yes, Hill House is a very emotionally resonant show. Well, so is Midnight Mass. I mean, fucking hell, you know. No, no, yeah, it's sad as moments, but like, I don't know, like you, you kind of. No, I think people like the family aspect of Hill House. Like, yeah. I, I, when I think of Hill House, I always think of Six Feet Under, not just because of the funeral home angle, but just yeah. that it's a drama about a family, yeah, a dysfunctional family. And, and I, I think you, you, you fall in love with the characters of Hill House. Yeah. You don't really fall in love with the characters of Midnight Mass. No. But you really feel for them. But yeah. But kind of from a distance, you know? Um, I don't know. You, I, I don't know how to answer that because you do like the Midnight Mass characters. I, I suppose, yeah, there's just some... Nell will always be special. Yeah. Yeah, Midnight Mass doesn't have a Nell. No. No, that's true. Yeah. No, it but it has. Yeah, it's different. You're right. Like the the intriguing thing about the characters that like uh, Linklater. Linklater is better than anything in Hill House. Mm. Uh, but it's because he's who is this guy? This yeah, it's strange. You know, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a strangeness to it. So yes, that's Usher. Yeah. Killers of the Flower Moon. Okay. Okay. 
It goes without saying that the that the film is <laughs> three and a half hours long. It is three and a half hours long. Yes, it is. It is too long. Yeah, but goes without saying that the technical stuff is stellar. Yes. the cinematography, the editing, the score. You know, and in score a way, Scorsese. Huh? Scorsese. Scorsese. In a way, I think Scorsese is hobbled by his own talent because I think had this film been made by another filmmaker. Not that it's not get it. It's had rave reviews. It's going to be up for the Oscars. It's up for all the awards and everything. But it feels because it's Scorsese, and not that it doesn't deserve it. I don't want to say that either. Mm. But if someone else had made this, I think the the common man, the average Joe, would like it a lot more than people have. Because I've seen a lot of backlash. Okay. Um. Again, like crit- critics loving it, but people not as much. Okay. Why? Well, too long is definitely a big factor. But also just like bored. I was bored. I don't don't get it. Okay. Kind of thing. And I think I think had this not been Scorsese, it would have been looked on a bit more favorably. The problem is, I think as directors go. So with a David Fincher film, right, you're guaranteed that it's gonna look good. Mm. The film might not be great, but it's gonna look good. Yeah. Uh, with a Spielberg film, you're guaranteed a certain level of quality. Mm. And with the Scorsese film, you're guaranteed a certain level of quality. You could there, there's no not for a long time anyway. Bad Scorsese film. They're all good. Mm. The Irishman was good. They're just not Taxi Driver. They're just not Raging Bull. They're not the Goodfellas. They're not the Departed. Yeah. You know, and so he can make uh, these amazing feats of cinema. But we're like, eh. right? You know what I mean? So I think he's somewhat hobbled by that. Is that what you mean by? I'm, I'm curious what you mean by if this wasn't Scorsese the general public would have looked upon it more favorably. Yeah. Is that what you mean by that? That, that, yeah. that, that, that Kills of the Flower Moon has to live up to the greats like Goodfellas and Raging Bull and... Like being a really well-made good film isn't enough for him. Because the thing is with Scorsese, I was thinking about this earlier, he's such a master of the craft. Mm. All his films are really good, really well-made. Yeah. But only some of them have that extra spark, like Taxi Driver. Mm. They have, like, it's really good, but also it's like, yeah, it's something. In the way that Tar is. Now, I don't think Tar is the same as Taxi Driver, but there's a strangeness to Tar. What you, you went in not knowing what it was, whether it would be any good, mm. what it was about. And so, all like Banshees even. It's like, ooh, okay, that, that's what this is. And it kind of has... Scorsese films don't have that. Okay. They don't have that kind of X-factor surprise gemness about them they're all just like yeah another great film or another really good film I want right. to say great do you know what I mean another well made good film like yeah. Spielberg when, what was the last Spielberg film you watched you were like ooh that was like a that was surprisingly good it's like yep yeah, that was good yeah that's a good question same with Scorsese the last Scorsese film you saw you are like oh my god that was amazing yeah it's like yep yeah, good do you know what I mean yeah it, it, it lacks that kind of extra thing it doesn't have the customary breakneck editing of Scorsese films. No. Uh, it's on the more deliberate side. That said, it's as muscular and purposeful as he ever has been. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's shown no signs of slowing down or his age, which is great. Uh, scenes hit the length at which they'd normally run and then exceed that length. As though our brains are now wired to a faster momentum, which they are. Mm. So that was refreshing to have dialogue play out beyond your expectation, but not your patience. Uh, there's a nice bit of dialogue in the first scene with DiCaprio and De Niro where De Niro's kind of floating the idea of him marrying into the Osage yeah. people. Yeah, we haven't premised it, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. You're right. Uh, go on then. Your turn. Oh, no. fuck. Yeah, it is your turn. Yeah, yes. fuck. <laughs> okay. 
Uh, yeah, no, it's um, set after World War Two, World War One, World War One. It's set after World yeah. War One. DiCaprio uh, was a soldier. He comes mm-hmm. back. He comes to Osage County. Mm-hmm. He comes to stay with his uncle, played by Robert De Niro. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the, the the film is kind of like yeah, the Osage live on land where there is oil. Yes, and so they have riches, and the white people want the riches. So they've kind of started marrying into the Osage so that when the Osage die, they inherit the riches. Mm-hmm. And then there are some people that seem content to speed up the process a little bit. It, uh, is, so, the, is the film saying that white people are marrying into it for the money? Or is it saying this family? I know there's supposed to be a microcosm. Yeah. But the whole like, oh, we marry into the money and then we kill them. Yeah. As you were alluding to. Yeah. That's just them, right? That's you know, okay. Well, it might just be that, but yeah, yeah. I, 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 I don't know because it felt like a lot of Osage were dying, like more than one family could feasibly handle. I think all the Osage that die in the film are them. Okay, I think. Okay, I'm sure it has happened, but I don't think it was pointing out like a yes. Obviously, as as a people, Native Americans have been oppressed and disenfranchised. Yeah, but this specific thing, I think, is the work of De Niro and his family. Okay, well, yeah, yeah, I think. Okay. Um, well, it's the same thing, just happening on a smaller yes, scale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, obviously, it's meant to be a microcosm of oppression in general. Yeah, yes. exactly. So, yeah, yeah. The, the Osage are dying, but obviously they're the Osage, and white people are white people, so mm-hmm. eh. Yeah, the FBI doesn't really give a shit. Yeah, and so the Osage uh, go to Washington, and they're like, please, mm-hmm. fucking please. Um, and then, yeah, the FBI get involved, and it's... As you were kind of saying, like it's it, it's pretty straightforward, mm-hmm. like well made, but it is very straightforward. Very straightforward, and I think that is for me that is a, to its detriment a little mm-hmm. bit for three and a half hours. And we 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 were speaking with a friend who kind of said something similar for three and a half hours. I think it was kind of I was expecting not necessarily a twist, but mm. some spice, some unexpected. Well, this is what flavor. I mean. This is the, about that X factor kind of thing. Yeah, it, it's just very methodical and well done yeah. well executed but it is yeah it isn't it's kind of it's the same as a lot of Scorsese's crime films it's about a guy not in the world of crime who's brought into the world of crime mm-hmm. he does the crime and then the law catches up with him and he and he uh, pays the price for doing the crime yeah but and it follows the entirety of that journey yeah it um Okay, so this this is a four out of five film for me. It's a four star film. It's I was going to say it's a four star. hour film. It's like, no, no, it's no, getting no. longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's four out of five, and I think uh, most of my review is going to be in script doctor mode, trying to drill down to why it's not five. Okay, because I agree, it's it's missing something. Yeah, uh, but yeah. So in the first scene with De Niro and DiCaprio, and De Niro's trying to convince him, oh, there's this girl. Maybe you want you know you've married money. He doesn't say that outright. Mm. Um, he's like, you like, you like red, you like the red skins, basically. And he's mm. like, oh, I like red, I like white, I like blue. Nice. Mm. That was nice. Okay. Uh, DiCaprio is solid. Uh, he contorts his features in a manner reminiscent of Wacky Phoenix and the Master. Mm. Not as good as that, but it's nice to see that kind of immersion. I like that both he and the film preserve an air of ambiguity around what he does initially, anyway. Yeah. Yes, he's a dumb guy being manipulated by his machiavellian uncle but maybe he knows you know yeah but he has like plausible deniability to himself yeah uh it's kind of an interesting cognitive dissonance there are scenes where it's pretty outright what hale the uncle is up to like when he punishes him with the bat Mm. uh but nevertheless um 
in the, the scene after that when Molly, uh, Ernest is injecting his wife, Molly, with her insulin, which isn't. He gives her this little indecipherable look. It could be checking to see if she's suspicious of what he's doing. It could be regret. It could just be making sure that she's okay. And I like that. Mm. That was probably the strongest component of the film for me. Okay. A little issue, though. Not saying that DiCaprio is a genius, but there's too much intelligence in his eyes to sell Ernest as a complete schmuck. Right. He doesn't do the work of extinguishing that light. Mm. I rewatched Sling Blade around the same time as I rewatched <laughs> okay, all right, Killers yeah. of the Flower Moon. And while Carl Childers, the protagonist of Sling Blade, is much more afflicted than yeah. Ernest Burkhart, uh, Billy Bob Thornton manages, and it is a majestic feat, to remove all light. <laughs> to completely vacate his eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. 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 I love I love that film. I love him in it. I love you, boy. Mm-hmm. All insight into that character, um, into Carl Childers, comes from what he says and when he's silent. But the expression is basically uniform. Mm. Lily Gladstone is also good. Very good. Um, she's kind of the dignity and the conscience at the heart of the film. There's been umming and aahing from the various award bodies but where to place her. They seem to have settled on lead. Okay. But I would argue she fits squarely into supporting actress. I, I mean, yeah, but also uh, who else would they put in lead? There is no one else. Well, DiCaprio. No, no, for, for, for lead, lead female, I assume. you Well, there isn't one. Oh, isn't there? That's not how it works. No? If, if a film just has a leading man and all the other actresses are supporting, it doesn't mean there's one lead actress. Right, okay. You're either supporting or you're lead. Okay. No, yeah, she is the, the foremost female character, but she's not the lead. When they, when they say female lead, it's not the leading female. It's a lead that is female. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, because is it De Niro? DiCaprio's in the film more than her, certainly. But is De, yeah, De Niro yeah. in the film more than her, even? they probably about equal. Maybe okay. she's in it a little, a little bit more. But um, I know there's a push for lead because of her ethnicity. Mm. Uh, her central, She is central to the plot, obviously. But also as a reflection of agency. The fact that like they're shining a spotlight on her people. So she's the leading actress. Do you know what I mean? It's like right, it's okay. a reflection of the film's intent. Uh, but realistically, she actually has very little autonomy in the film. She is a victim, you <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. in the truest sense, and there's nothing wrong with that. She disappears for extended chunks of the film, spends a lot of it bedridden and ill. It's no diss to say that she should be in the supporting actress category, and she might well deserve to win. I haven't seen the holdovers yet. Uh, ah, yes. Yeah. Yes. DiCaprio is undeniably the lead in his on-screen prominence, but if we're in anyone's head, it is Molly's. Mm. DiCaprio was originally slated to play Tom White, which is the Jesse Plemons... Character. Oh, the FBI agent. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Before the film was retooled. Yeah. Maybe this is a danger of partly, and I emphasize partly, developing a film around a star. It's definitely interesting for the lead to have unclear motives or whose undertaking is unclear to the audience. But I don't think it would have lost that enigmatic power if he'd been relegated to more of a supporting role. Okay. So we, could, we should say that initially the idea of the film was it would focus on the investigation Mm. Um, and he would play the lead, the FBI agent investigating these murders, but it wasn't working for them, so they kind of turned it inside out to focus from on the, the criminals and the family. Yeah, because it's, um, it's, it's a long time before um, the FBI oh, even come it's into it. It's very much like in Goodfellas, 
the bit where he's now coked up, that whole sequence, and he's driving and he's paranoid. Mm. It's around that time that they come in. It's like the last gasp Mm. of the film. Uh, De Niro is in gives a shit mode. Um, But I honestly, I couldn't really call this performance remarkable. He just does it well. Mm. The rest of the cast equip themselves perfectly well, except Brandon Fraser. Oh, no. Don't you agree? No, no. Well, say what you're going to say. <laughs> Before you decide if you're going to agree. Yeah. Um, he turns in a pretty... Oh, yeah, I need to know what I'm agreeing yeah, or yeah, disagreeing yeah. with. He turns in a pretty weird performance. His yeah. delivery notches the film into another territory. It's bigger and melodramatic and pretty goofy. Uh, well, much like him. Um, yes. I don't know. I don't. It didn't feel uh, like. Oh, it did. Okay. For me, it did. When when he was, it was like, oh, this is weird now. Is it? Yeah, he's weird. Or is it just because? Oh, look, it's Brendan Fraser. Well, there's a bit of that, but then I, I don't know. I mean, I'll leave it for the audience to decide. But it just felt it rang wrong. Okay. To me. Okay. Like I get why he's in it. It's part of the Brennaissance. He just seemed a bit rusty. Okay. It's it, like it's he's good in the whale. Yeah. Yeah, this didn't feel... I mean, I, I suppose we're not really sure. In terms of intensity, we don't know where either of us sit with our opinion. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I wouldn't say that it's distractingly different from the rest of the cast, his performance. I would. Okay. It's a, it's bigger. It's just a lot bigger than what everyone else has got. It's, there's no subtlety to but it. But also, it also comes at the most dramatic point in the film. I know that, but he stands up and he kind of says, I demand... It's like, whoa... Whoa! Yeah, like where'd that come from? It's just well, he's, it's like he's he, in a he different wants to make film. himself heard. Yeah, I it's don't like know. a desperate it's, moment. It, it's just a bit bigger than the film he's in. Okay. I think it's it's more like a Boardwalk Empire tone, right? You know, they go for that twenties, yeah. like you know, come all, come but it see, is the twenties. Yeah, but but it's it's the real twenties, and it's not going for that kind of showman Atlantic City thing. It's going for just people. Okay. Because in in the forties in the forties people didn't actually go, Alright, game, how are you doing over there? The people didn't actually talk like that. <laughs> That's um it's an affectation. Yeah. But he's a lawyer. Yeah, I know, but so was whoever the other lawyer was. And yeah. that it didn't have the same I thought it was weird. Okay. Okay, so it's a plentiful story and it's a microcosm of an even bigger one uh, of history. But ultimately it's a Pretty bare one, as you elucidated when you did the plot. Mm. In consideration of its three and a half hour runtime, definitely. There will always be a pleasure in seeing Scorsese films on the big screen, but I am lamentably inclined to suggest that it, that it needn't be. It didn't have to be seen on the cinema screen. Okay. In fact, I think the best expression of this narrative may be a miniseries. Three or four episodes. Well, that's the thing. It basically, it almost holds the runtime of a miniseries. The runtime. And that's the thing. Four episodes would have protracted proceedings even further, but they're just fundamentally different viewing experiences. Mm. Um, obviously, with home viewing, people can pause it and then return later, but a film, I would argue, is best meant to be experienced in one sitting. Otherwise, yeah. it kind of defeats the purpose. But also, like, I think you've made this point. I'm not sure if you made it just now on mic, but you certainly made it off mic. Mm-hmm. Um in a way, Scorsese almost feels like he's above television. Like, can you imagine that? A Scorsese... Well, he did Boardwalk, didn't he? Well, he, he did the first episode. The pilot, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he did the pilot. But just like, a just... Oh, look, the new uh, Martin Scorsese miniseries just dropped on Apple. Yeah. And, it feels yeah, so, yeah, it yeah, feels that, so yes. beneath, like, his status. It would have to be a miniseries. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not saying that, like, I, I'm not even saying I necessarily agree with that. No, no, I know. That's the thinking behind this being a film rather than a miniseries. Well, I don't... Because it's, it's produced by Apple. 
Yeah, yeah, no, I don't. So, I don't think it was like that's the thing. It was never meant to be a miniseries. It was meant to be a film. You yeah, know? I don't think it was ever like, oh, should it be a miniseries? Um, but it, do you really think that like being that they ran their own streaming service and this was going to go on streaming at around the time they went it was went yeah. to cinemas? The conversation was at least had right, where it's like, do you want to maybe? No, make this I a think miniseries? this. I think this has been like he's wanted to do this for a long time. Okay, years. It's always been a film. Yeah, he's a filmmaker. Yeah. I, d- I don't think he'd necessarily never do TV, especially... I mean, yeah, he did a pilot. Yeah. And he was originally going to come back and do more, just kind of never worked out. Mm. I think a three or four hour miniseries is close enough to a film that it's something that he might consider. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I think that would have been the best outlet for this. The story doesn't span enough years or theme or plot to justify its intense runtime. Yeah, it's not The Irishman where it's like a 30-year epic. No. It's five years, maybe, or yeah. like at most ten. This is the story. It, it's, a, it's such a short amount of time that the film doesn't even really bother to kind of denote, like definitively mark no. out the passage of time. No, no, yeah, yeah. They have children. That kind of does the work for yeah. you. This is the plot. A literal crime family is killing Osage people for their money. The FBI eventually starts an investigation, and the culprits are caught. Now, you can obviously... That, but three and a half hours. Yeah, you can <laughs> yeah. obviously like reduce most epics to a few sentences if you want. Mm. But you don't actually lose much in that summary beyond the relationships. Yeah. And I, I think it's interesting because that little synopsis there that I just did, because the film was originally envisioned to be told from the perspective of the FBI, and then they flipped it inside out to focus on the perpetrators, it's instructive that either way you end up with the same synopsis. Right. And to me, that's like exhibit A in why a story isn't necessarily why you should go watch a film. Because, mm. you know, two entirely different approaches... But you get the same basic story in the end. Yeah. You know? Okay. This story could have been told in two hours. Yeah. Not to say that it's baggy. It never feels indulgent or tangential. Which is interesting because, again, as, as you've just kind of demonstrated, there's no like B plot really. No, it's it's, it, it's it is, one story. It is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it doesn't feel overstuffed, and that's the paradox at the heart of it, right? Because when you're watching it, it doesn't occur to you that much of anything could be cut. Mm. But afterwards, your memory of it is pretty scant and very linear. Yeah. I wouldn't want to presume, but it feels like part of its length is down to a sense that it would be doing a disservice to an historically oppressed and marginalized people if it just got in and out with no frills. Yeah, maybe. You know what I mean? It's like, oh no, we got to do this right. Yeah. In the hands of another filmmaker, this could have been eminently woke and annoying. Mm -hmm. It isn't. Which just goes to show it's not necessarily the topic. It's how it's dealt with. Yeah. The development of woke entertainment is something that we'll get into on a future episode. Ooh, um, no, a fun little tease there. Yeah, but I, I felt, I felt the plight of the Osage people, and it wasn't because I was kept there long enough, so I damn well better. Yeah, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. There's no real mystery as to what's going on. It's not a who done it mm. for the audience. So I think it would have benefited by focusing a lot more on the marriage between Ernest and Molly and. I know you can only take so many liberties with the facts, but maybe it was worth fictionalizing his struggle with what he was doing. So rather than the question being, who's behind this? It becomes, is he really going to go through with it? Mm. At the risk of sounding like a tasteless studio type, while this is a sublimely crafted piece of cinema, it's not that entertaining. Mm. Because there's no mystery. It's very inevitable. Uh, plus, I don't personally find the minutiae of the criminal enterprise, you know, like all the different 
players, the random guys that do, like bomb yeah. me. I didn't find them that interesting or that intriguing. Not many thrills. So it needed an extra something in there or a different take. Now you'd end up with something else entirely and maybe it wouldn't work given how late in the game the FBI get involved. Mm. But seeing things from their perspective as was the original intention would at least have offered more intrigue yeah. as they peel back the layers of this community yeah, yeah. and these characters. And it would mirror the grander undertaking of the film, which is to elucidate um, and document a piece of American history that's unknown to most. Mm. As the feds uncover the truth about the conspiracy, we discover the historical truth. So there's a nice symbiosis of plot and artistic intent. Right, there. okay. Okay, so then you've got the ending. Yeah. I don't know whether that ending is a reconstruction of an actual radio play. Okay. It's an interesting, dynamic way of concluding as opposed to text yeah, on screen. Yeah, no, certainly, yeah. But if we are spending three and a half hours with the film already, mm. I can manage a little montage to wrap it all up. <laughs> right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Also, given its anachronicity, the way that, that is recorded, the kind of weird things they're doing, it ends up being a bit funny. Like, people were laughing mm. in the cinema, which somewhat unsmooths the landing. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Yeah, it's it's nice to see Scorsese delivering the final little chunk. Well, I wonder if that um, feeds into your point about the reason the film is so long is because it feels like it would be disrespectful yeah. to the history. Yeah, and he's going to have the final... Yeah. Like, the, we're not even going to... Like, there's going to be no artifice, no dramatic license. I'm literally just going to tell you yeah. the history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that nothing can be lost and nothing can be misrepresented. Yeah, no, what he does is he, he talks about um, Molly um, dying her death and the, there's no mention of the crimes in her obituary. Yeah. The problem is... I don't know if that... The final line of the film is that no mention was made. I don't know if that says as much or indeed says at all what the film wants it to. Okay. Because who knows how that obituary was put together. Did a relative do it? Did the person who wrote it know about the murders and erase it from the record? You know, whitewashing it? Yeah. Were they simply ignorant of it, which would have indeed made the point? I need to know the circumstances of the obit's authorship to know whether I should be outraged. By the omission yeah, well, that, that, of the crime. But yeah, that's the thing. I I, I, I I misinterpreted it. I thought that the idea was that... Um, they moved on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, she's... Yeah, she's not defined by that period of her life. Therefore, yeah. it, there was no mention of it in her obituary. Yeah, see, I, I don't know whether that is something that could be up for interpretation. I thought it was like a, a clear statement of intent. Like, it's delivered very somberly. Like, no mention was made of the crime. And then he kind of retreats. Okay. And the idea is like, yeah, we don't know about this history, but that I I don't know how who wrote it. I don't know how it was done. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. know where. You know what I mean? I'm not saying that the Native Americans have been kind of ignored throughout, but I don't know. It just, it just didn't have the punch. No, that no, it that's fair. Yeah, yeah, no. Again, kind of like um, kind of like with Fall of the House of Usher, we kind of need to know. Yeah. What your intent is to know what the message is. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's been a lot of. There's been a backlash against this film by Native American organizations uh, and stuff. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like people saying um, the most attention they've had in God. I know long. it's like someone said it's not perfect, but you know it's it's a step in the right direction. Someone else said, um, "Oh, we are more than just the crimes that happened to us." So that's what this story is. It's about <laughs> the crimes. It's about what ha- like. 
you go ahead and make the Native American just people being yeah. people film. Whatever. So it's like the fucking Mr. Beast thing, isn't it? Like, oh, look yeah. at the white man coming in and, and, and getting all the attention because he's providing infrastructure to places. I know, that yeah. Well, okay, oh, who else was making it? Yeah. Who else was making it? Yeah. It's just like... No, how, how long have you been a charity and there's still no infrastructure in it's, this place? It's the perfect being the enemy of the good. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, you you make a better film then. It's either Scorsese makes one that you don't love 100%, but hey, it's something, or nothing. Mm. I think something's better than nothing. Yeah, probably. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, I don't know, I'm going to say, it's just ungrateful. Mm. And it sounds like, how dare you say that, you know, but it is, it's just a complete lack of gratitude. It's, well, what were you doing? Yeah. You know. At the very least, this is now an opportunity, like, again, now now that this is, uh, this this film has come out and this, their attention is on these stories, you can use that as a platform to do whatever the hell you want. Whether it wants, you know, whether you do want to educate, like, yes, this happened, but we're more than that, or whether you want to do your own uh, retelling of it, or yeah. whatever you want to do. I also want to say that the film is steeped in the culture of the Osage yeah, people. It is, yeah, it's, it's like, not even it's, as if, like, the film is disrespectful to the culture. It's or, or, even, or, or even, like, oh, yeah, yeah, they marry the Indians, but, like, it's really about uh, this family. Yeah. No, like, it, it makes a concerted effort to get into it. Like, yeah. he reads a book about their, you know, their religion, their mythology kind of thing, their mm. stories, and um, you see their vision of an afterlife, kind of. And yeah. uh, they talk a lot about their beliefs. And there's this, re- like, monologue, essentially, from this tribal leader that talks about how they're going to stay. And it's by no means, like pushing it to the side that it has dialogue in yeah. the dialect and the film ends with a modern day native american dance yeah when, whenever it, ceremony is shown yeah it shows it it, it really yeah, it, yeah you can tell that it's 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 taking its time and making the effort to get all the little details right yeah so it's just kind of completely ridiculous and like, like we said it has all that but it's not woke hmm. and i don't like woke would have been kind of saying that all white people are responsible or, you know, what you, what you want is a documentary <laughs> about yeah. Native Americans, about the Osage people. Mm. You, this film is about these characters that committed these crimes. Yeah. All the while, really focusing on the community mm. and the people in that community. This is the best you're going to get for, for this story. Yeah. If you want like, oh, it's purely like, it's showing the lives, just the lives of being in the wilderness of Native Americans. Like, that's just another thing. That's mm. something else. Go make that film if that's what you want to make. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> I just think it's just so ridiculous. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I was in this kind of script editor mode there as opposed to full-blown critic and being nitpicky because it is a good film. Mm. But I'm just trying to drill down to why it's four out of five instead of five out of five. Okay. It's good, but it's no masterpiece. Yeah. It's just as long as one. <laughs> <laughs> it's just very it long. Is, yeah, uh, yeah. That's that's it. Okay, I've, I have one more point uh, uh, that I want to add. I guess it's a criticism. I guess it's more just like a something I noticed. Okay, as as we uh, pointed out a couple of times now, the, the, the plot is that yeah, they're marrying into the Osage family, and the Osage family are dying under mysterious circumstances. But everyone kind of knows, like, oh yeah, yeah foul yeah. play is a fault. Yeah, yeah. Which kind of begs the question, like, why are the Osage women going along with it? The film never really deals with that. Like with Mo- in Molly's case, you can tell that she's been charmed by DiCaprio. Yeah, as they so, really spend time with yeah, um, their courting and everything. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and he does seem to be 
respectful of her culture and her beliefs. Like, there's that scene where they have dinner together, and then there's a storm outside. Mm-hmm. And she tells him, oh, no, we have to sit quietly while the storm passes. Yeah, yeah. And he just does. That's why he's such an interesting character, because it's like, is he just placating her? Yeah. Is he actually, like... He seems on board with... Like, he's not a racist. No. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just his uncle is kind of manipulated. I don't know. But yeah. Yeah. So, you, you don't get the sense that he's humouring her when he does no, that. No, absolutely yeah, not. Yeah. So you, I, I understand how her, how him and Molly became an item. Yeah. In terms of the other... Like, I can't remember the other guy's name, but the, the guy that was like married to his, his sister. His brother. Yeah, his brother married a sister that then die, dies. Yeah. And then he marries another sister. Yeah. Are they not suspicious of that? Well, also they're depicted as being very strong willed and hard-headed yeah women. i think they, they, even, they even have a conversation out in the open about like to molly they're basically mm. saying to molly you know he's just marrying you for your money here's the thing the historical record is what it is i don't know if it it seemed to have a lot of fidelity to that i don't know how much fictionalization went on I mean, the, the conversations between the family members you have to imagine there's a this invention there yeah but in a way that may be the film being actually more woke than it being woke so as to create a kind of contradiction where we want to depict these women as being very strong. Yeah. So then they that yeah that that begs the question. So why are they marrying these men and kind of just if, letting? Yeah, them, if they're know? inherently suspicious of them. Yeah. Whereas the truth is probably they probably weren't <laughs> weren't or yeah. probably somewhere in between or you know. Yeah. Like I I suppose it's not like. I don't think it's a problem problem. No. Because the the core relationship of the film works. Yeah. Molly and Ernest make sense. And yeah, so no, the film yeah. can the, function. The drunk sister, there there was a big element of why is she with this guy? Yeah. As I was watching it, but then thinking like, oh, that's that's a story off screen that like I just don't Yeah. But it, yeah, it does beg the question if they know, if they kind of know what these people are up to, yeah. Why are they it's it's not because the, the film sets up early on this is not like um i don't know apartheid or it's it's not like segregation in the south where they're second class citizens the whole idea is at that time they were first class citizens yeah they had the wealth they were rich yeah you know they were in expensive suits in the town and white people were kind of beholden to them yeah. kind of like you know you want me to carry your bags you know mm. for for a dollar or whatever well, that, that's how um ernest and molly kind of meet ernest is He's her driver. driver yeah yeah, so um, it's not like, oh, they would society would have pressured them into it. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, that is a confusing aspect of it. But I, I guess they just didn't want to portray the women as anything other than... Which, which is fine. Yeah, But yeah. it's just like, you know, on the one hand, it's already three and a half hours. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't want to... So, no more. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. at the same time, uh, or at least well, on the other hand, it's three and a half hours. Did you not have time to like explore that a little bit? I know, yeah. That's why I think a miniseries... I will say, when watching it, it felt like a three-hour film, not like a three-and-a-half-hour film. Oh, that's all right, then. I will say that. No, it felt long, but it didn't feel... When I cause when you sit down to watch something like, okay, right, this is a marathon. I'm in this for the long haul. Yeah. And it didn't get... It felt long, but not as long as it was. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't like, yeah. well, that was three-and-a-half hours. That was like, yeah, that was three hours. Right. <laughs> you know, okay. it's it's... I know it's, it feels like a subtle difference well, when it's, it's you interesting get to that usually, long, but it has, there is half an hour. Yeah, it's interesting because you know. usually it's like, oh, it's three hours. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's the opposite. <laughs> it's the opposite, yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a recommendation. For all that said, I would recommend it if you're into film. Yeah. Um, if you're after like a breezy, <laughs> I don't know, like entertaining thrill, it, it's not that. No. 
it is an Oscar film. It's it's very well made. It's well performed. It's well mounted. Yeah, all the stuff in it is good. It just has problems that that stop it short of being brilliant. Yeah, uh, but it is good. We can't say it's not good. No, no, yeah. I, I I wouldn't deny it's. Um majesty for a second yeah. in terms of it yeah how it's put together and the talent behind it yeah but it is three and a half hours long <laughs> and it, yeah it, it will always be long. three and a half hours yeah long, yeah unfortunately that's yeah. that's not something that uh you, you you're going to be able to get around no that's true yeah right final review okay five nights at freddy's oh yay <laughs> you see why i left it to the end you know you know <laughs> on the last episode i said i was really looking forward to the barbie review yeah I'm really looking forward to this review. <laughs> Why so, Jordan? Well, I have a suspicion, Sam. Yeah. Having watched the film with, with you, <laughs> that you didn't enjoy it. No, no. I have a similar suspicion about you. Well, no, I didn't. I, I didn't enjoy it. No. Okay. Um, do you know what? It's not. It's not that I did. Okay. What's the right way to phrase this? Okay. I enjoyed the viewing experience. Mm. I, I didn't like the film. No. Yeah. No. But I can't say that I was bored. I can say that. Okay. It wasn't a boring experience. Um, Right. (laughs) Okay. Thank God it's your turn to do the plot. (laughs) No, No, it's mine! Oh, no! (laughs) Uh, Okay. Well, you know what? The the plot is actually something we're going to get into, so I won't actually do a plot synopsis. I'll say it's based on the game. Yeah. The franchise. It, It takes a lot of inspiration... From the first game, in particular, in the particular, there's, there's yeah. like bits and pieces from others in the franchise, but it's basically if, it, if it's an adaptation of anything, it's the first game, right? Uh, so they obviously had to impose a kind of a story on top of that again, which is there's this guy Mike who begins working in this abandoned uh, mascot restaurant yeah. from the ninety eighties and nineties, and the mascots there, the animatronics, are homicidal things. Yes. That's the plot. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so it's a horror movie. Yeah. It's not remotely scary. No. Not once. No. Not a once. <laughs> not a once. No. I don't get Josh Hutcherson as yeah. a thing. I, I, I think he's so uncharismatic. I just... I. He's boring. He's bland on screen. Well, I don't... It he has no charm or The film does nothing to help that because... Star quality, Robert. Yeah, no, it's star quality. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. But the film doesn't help that because he spends half of it asleep. Yeah. That, like, by design. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's literally his motivation is to sleep. To sleep, yeah. Yeah. He, he, it's, it's so bizarre. He gets an, a, a, a night job. Yeah. So he can sleep during the night. Yeah. Understood. As, as a night watchman. <laughs> as a night watchman. It's so fucking weird. His job is literally like, oh, you have to sit in the security room and watch the And not cameras. fall asleep. <laughs> not fall asleep. Yeah. That's exactly what he does. Yeah. There are some shots that tend to betray an inexperienced director. So I kind of there's an overhead shot of Lillard pouring a coffee, like little shots that do nothing at all, other than provide another angle on a thing going. More on. coverage, yeah. More coverage. But the problem is with those shots is that they, they their placement suggests meaning. Yeah. So exactly. it's like, oh, he's drugging his coffee. Compare this all the way back to the beginning of this episode. Compare it to Leave the World Behind, for example. Yeah. Where that is a film that has minimal coverage. Yes. Yes. Um, compared to what's happening. And it, it really does go to show like how the experience of a director can can make a difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tar, even. If we want to go all the way back to Tar. I mean, we said at the time, that's, that's, that's a film 
with the most minimal cinematography Mm -hmm. possible. Like, a camera will just be stationary in a scene for 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah. And it's not the camera that moves, it's the characters that move. Mm -hmm. And that creates... Or the full Monty. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. And that's what creates the meaning and the dynamics and everything. Whereas this, yeah, as you say, it's just... Here's two characters relatively stationary within the scene... And let's just get all of this coverage. To it, kind of it's a sign it. of inexperience in terms of they don't know what they want, yeah. what they need from the scene. But also, I guess, just like, oh, we need we need to edit a lot so stuff is happening. We can't yeah. just watch a thing play out in real time. Yeah, it's... Uh, I don't Like, Finn's show obviously is notorious for his infinite takes. Yeah. But I wonder how much coverage he gets in terms of different angles and oh, different I, shots. I imagine he goes in knowing exactly, exactly what, he what he wants. Exactly what he wants. Yeah. And he doesn't get a, and that's, a, anything that's, else. That's what I like about Clint Eastwood. He's very unfussy. He's like, we've got it. Yeah. Like, he's the opposite of Fincher in that, like, if he's got it in a take, that'll do. Yeah. Big, they, they did Invictus. Matt Damon said, um, they did, like, two takes. Like, oh, can I do another one? Just, I felt like I could get... He's like, well, you want to waste everyone's time? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like... And it's Clint Eastwood, you know? Yeah. So you go, yeah. all right, let's move on. <laughs> um, yeah, even if you're not somewhat seasoned in film and recognize the casting of Lillard is legacy casting and that he'll be the villain you know that he'll be the villain. It's the, like the only other character yeah, exactly. in the film, basically. Like, why would he be in it at all? I, su- I suppose Doug could have been the, the big villain. I suppose so, yeah. <laughs> um, I hate the name of the restaurant. I know it's from the game, it's yeah. like, but I hate the name of the restaurant because you keep wanting to say Fuzzbear or Fuzzbear. I know you're used to it. Yeah. It's Freddy Fazbear. Fazbear, right? yeah. What? Fazbear. It's the worst <laughs> vowel that could have gone there. Fuzzbear, Fuzzbear, Fizzbear, Fazbear, Fazbear. What? Freddy Fazbender. <laughs> <laughs> I got you that one. <laughs> I just um, had a picture of, um, of, of Freddy Fazbear and the killer. <laughs> like wandering around. In like, the Parisian apartment. Yeah. 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 Uh, the orientation video that Josh Hutchinson watches looks like it comes from neither the 80s nor the 90s. Yeah. So that's a problem. We've kind of ruined... Culture has kind of ruined everyone, I think, when it comes to that kind of stuff. Like, you can't do a sincere recruitment video or a, a sincere no. orientation video anymore. They always have to have this kind of sl- sliminess to them yeah. or this like level of incompetence to them. Or unknowing. Like, it's yeah. showing stuff without kind of knowing that's so it's... Yeah, yeah, like like kind of. I I guess like in Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared. It's a bit more extreme because it's like overtly, like it's it's trying to be weird and unnatural. But I think that's what a lot of people think of when they think of orientation videos. Is like uh, stiff and kind of insincere. Yeah, and and in that in that particular instance as well, there's like the sinister undertones of the company are there on full display. Yeah, you know, it's like. Um, uh, when when accidents do happen, they're character building, and that's a guarantee. Well, orientation like videos are almost like they have the same function, not function, but the same um, connotation as a clown, which is like, anyone this happy is hiding. <laughs> right. There's something shady going on. Because, like, yeah, there is a, an overlap with those insincere yeah. orientation videos and the big smiles like, welcome to our company. You're part of the family. You know, yeah. it's like, uh, yeah, it's creepy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but also it's it's meant to the whole. I mean, a large chunk of what this property is meant to be doing is invoking the nostalgia of the eighties and the nineties. Yeah. So the video really needed to look like a VHS. Yeah. You know, and they put on the grain of a VHS, 
but the people are clearly yes. products of the 21st century. And it, it's, yeah, no, it, it feels like the laziest version of itself. Well, what, they, what they've done is they've just filmed it yeah. and then added the, the, la, the layer. Yeah, yeah. They, that's what, yeah, yeah, they probably like use the, the Red Giant plugin. Just like, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. exactly. But, but the, you know, the thing that I use whenever we do, do like the pause effect on, on the video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's the laziest version of that because as you say, they just literally just filmed the person. But also, it's a mascot driven company right surely the orientation video would be hi I'm Freddy Fazbear welcome to my world yeah yeah exactly and like I'm gonna you know we're gonna go over to Barney to talk about safety and I was, it's I, like, I was gonna it, say it like, a, like a great opportunity to obviously introduce you to the company but also introduce you to the mascots the so power like, mascots because yeah. I think that's one of the biggest problems with the film other than the fact that they're not scary in the slightest mm-hmm. even though they are very well put together puppets. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. incredibly faithful to the designs. They've managed to capture them incredibly well. It's probably one of the most faithful translations of a character I've seen, certainly in recent memory. Okay. But they have absolutely no personality. All of the animatronics function exactly the same. Even though they're supposed to be like, you know, oh, like Bonnie's the guitarist and Freddie is the leader. And, yeah. But you don't get a sense of any hierarchy or any like. No. Like, there's no character from those characters coming through in their I was going to say, like, uh, like, I'm just not familiar with the game, but in the film, I was going to say, well, but their animatronics, like, yeah, they don't, they don't have personalities. No, but the but, company, it's the company's yeah, job Yeah, 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 but that's the thing, them. but even in actuality, they're possessed by dead kids, right? Yeah. So they would still have different personalities. Yeah, they would. Um, yeah, not every kid is, the, not every yeah, nine-year-old is the same. It's the same, yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, I guess maybe the idea was, oh, if we show like a guy in the costume, people are going to think that it's people in costumes. And I wasn't but, even thinking a guy in the costume. I was thinking like, um, oh, just cheesy. like, a, 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 no, like just, a, well, you could do that. Yeah, yeah. Or you oh, should explain to the audience because I just went bar 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 bar, as in like the animatronic just with its mouth moving up and down. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah, it's just on the stage and it's just yeah, like yeah, jaw yeah. moving, but someone's doing a yeah, voiceover. Yeah. Or crappy cheesy nineties animation. Yes. That would be very fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, like it would give you an opportunity to sort of get to know those characters and to impose personality on them. Don't go asking for personality with this, Jordan. It, it, <laughs> but that's it, the thing. It's, it's just like, <laughs> like, it just feels like... It's been, it's be, is it beneath this film? Yeah, it's beneath this film. It's not beneath this film. It's well above this yeah, film. Yeah, yeah. This film can't reach that. Yeah, the film is beneath personality. Um, but yeah, like even in the game, like when it's, when these characters are literally just JPEGs, because mm. that's what the first Five Nights at Freddy's is. It's a series of still images mm. that you observe on a camera. And then... It's the sequence of those images that give you the impression that the animatronics are approaching you. Yes. And that creates the tension. Yes. Because you can't stop them. Mm-hmm. Well, you have, like, you can stop them, but you have a very limited amount of power to, to stop them with. You know if you're caught? Yeah. Oh, it's, it's like by a door, isn't it? Just like yeah. it pokes its head in the door. Yeah. yeah, and you've got to close the door to stop it coming in. But if no, it I mean, I mean if, it get, if it gets to you, you just see its head peeking through the door, right? Yeah, and, and then, then that's your opportunity to the... stop, to close the door to stop it. Because if you don't, it'll come in and kill you. Oh, I thought that was like the the screen for oh you've been killed you've been caught. Well, no, it's that yeah. When it gets to the door, that's like this is your final chance to stop it. When it's peeking its head in. Yeah. Oh right, okay. Um, I thought that was ha got you sort of thing. Oh, I think Foxy does that. Oh right. Like where he peeks his head in and then but the others they'll like they'll peek their head in then they'll disappear and then they'll get like right in your face. Oh right, okay. But that's the thing, like because they have in the game because they have different patterns of behavior. Mm-hmm. 
you end up kind of imposing personality onto them. So, for right. example, Bonnie is usually the first one you'll encounter. Mm-hmm. And so it gives you the impression that he's the most aggressive one. Right. Foxy will, like, run towards your room if he's not if you don't keep an eye on him. So it gives you the impression that he's, like, this wild card. Uh-huh. Freddy will never backtrack. So once he moves on to the next stage of the pizzeria, you can never, like, get him to go away. So right. there's this real sense of dread because you can't, like, mm-hmm. stop him. Mm-hmm. And there's just nothing like that in the film. No, no, they are all, they're all the same. Yeah, there's just no uniqueness. Yeah, there's no diversity in there. There's no diversity. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is a shame because... It, 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 is this a slasher? I guess this is like... Well, it, 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 I don't really know what it is, to be honest. Yeah, no, I don't think it knows what it is. There's not enough kills for it to be a slasher, but when there are kills, I guess that's what it is. It's slashy, yeah. It... it builds its, it sets itself up as a slasher. Yeah. The opening suggests it's going to be a slasher. Yeah. And then it doesn't really live up to that. No. There's kind of one sequence where it becomes that again, but that's it. Yeah. Um, right, okay. So he has a younger sister. Yes. Mike, uh, that he's looking after because the parents are gone. But she has an aunt. The aunt wants to adopt her mm. uh, for the money. Mm. Now, as far as I can see, that whole storyline was to give him one more push to get the job. Yeah. As well as offering up some initial victims. Mm. Now, that's actually fairly economical, okay? As, okay. An, as an idea. But. Right. It's a whole unnecessary construction when just financial insecurity and losing the house. Yeah. Should be enough. Like, he's going to lose his sister. Yeah. And actually, we never know the thug's relationship to the aunt. So basically, she hires this thug to case the joint. I think the. To rob it. The babysitter? The babysitter them? is his sister. Yeah. But we don't know their relationship. But the thugs are her friends, I think. Are they? Right. The babysitter. So she sends in a babysitter. Yeah. To kind of scout it. To scout Mike's house to see if there's anything that could make him lose custody. Yeah. The the babysitter's brother is the thug. The main thug that robs. Right. That goes to trash Freddy's. Uh, And then he brings like his goons with him. Mm. But we don't know how the ant knows these people. Right. That's never established. It's tonally fucked. Yes, yeah. So we we learn that the robots are puppeteered by ghost children, mm. with which Mike is way too unfazed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, he finds out Vanessa knows... So this is another character, we'll get to her. Mm. He finds out Vanessa knows about it, isn't like, what the fuck is going on? Who and what are you? Yeah. He's just like, well, I guess you knew about this. <laughs> it's, thanks for telling me. <laughs> Yeah, and, and he's just he's just bothered by the fact that he was left. Yeah, out. and then they have a little jaunty putting together a fort sequence. <laughs> um, uh, by this point, we have seen the animatronics violently dispose of a group of human beings. Bites a human in half. Yeah, even if Mike's like, I don't buy for a second. Well, the physics of it. Yeah. No. Yeah. Because even though these are like big meaty machines. For a human to be bitten clean in half like that, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's sort of it's the worst of both worlds because it's not gory enough to be like, oh, that was such a cool fucking death, yeah, but it's also not harrowing enough to be creepy or scary. It's just wrong. Yeah, the, the film isn't creepy. Yeah, it isn't. Even if you go and like, oh, gory kills, it doesn't do that either. No. Yeah, even if Mike doesn't know that, which he doesn't, that they've killed these people. Yeah. And is under the impression that they're just big kids. It's still not okay to be okay with them. <laughs> yeah, you know? <laughs> like you, it takes a little bit more time to get used to it. Um, 
it's explained that the older animatronics were suits occupied by people. Mm. So that's what they were putting the security guard in the beginning into, right? Uh, presumably, maybe, yeah. Why so laboured? Because it creates the impression... I mean, why so laboured a, a plot idea? Yeah. Because that creates the impression that that's how they fill the suits. Yeah. Like, so, like, zombies, basically. Mm. Which, by the way, is an infinitely creepier idea than them being controlled by ghost children. Well, this is... Uh, a decaying carcass inside this thing writhing about. Well, that's the thing. So, spoiler alert, yeah. um, at the end of the film, Matthew Lillard occupies one of those suits. Yeah. And he's attacked by the cupcake, mm-hmm. which I don't understand because the cupcake in the games, oh, certainly in the first game, the cupcake is just an ornament of Chica's. It's yeah, not yeah. actually a possessed yeah, animatronic. Yeah. It's not possessed by a child. So how does it function? And why does it have a bloodlust? Well, maybe it is possessed by a child. What, both Chica and the cupcake? Yeah, two different... No, no, that's the thing. There's only five kids. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, because the cupcake know. does the most killing in the film, and it's the yeah. only one that's not possessed by a dead child. Yeah. Which is bizarre. But yeah, it, it attacks him, and that causes the spring lock mechanisms to sort of fail. Yeah. And they kind of... Yeah, they basically impale him within the suits. Yes. And he bleeds out and he dies. And that is uh, like a like a character from the games called Springtrap, mm-hmm. and that is indeed a man, a, a rotting corpse in a right. suit. Okay, I mean it leads to a whole other like level of contrivance within like there's there's the, the plot of the games is yeah. insane. I can't be point. dealing with the plot of the games. It's yeah. just from what I've heard. But that's the that's... thing. Like if this is because because Ma- Matthew Lid has apparently signed up to do three of these films, and there will be more. There it's will be done more. well. There'll yeah, be more. absolutely. Yeah. So. Is that where it's going? Because if, if it's going in the direction of the games, this is going to become a sci-fi franchise very quickly. Well, it's not an anything franchise at the moment, so... Well, it's, a, it's supposed to be a horror franchise yeah. at the moment. It's not that. No. I, like I said, I don't really know what it is. I wouldn't know what to call it. It's not a thriller. It's not action. No, it's a horror it's film. It's It's just not a good one. It's not a scary yeah, one. Yeah, okay. Um, Unlike Mike Flanagan projects, this very much has... <laughs> wants the, to be. Yeah, it, it has yeah. the dressing and the behaviours of... A horror film. It just fails to be that. And why did they kill the security guard? Oh, I don't know. They also go to put Abby in a suit, his sister. Yeah. Why not just kill her and chuck her body in? If the idea is that, like, the body's got to be in there for the ghosts to... Uh, yeah. Why... It's easy to just, like, slit her throat and throw it rather than, like, have to get her and put her in the suit. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, just... Okay. Fundamentally, they occupy the animatronics because that's where their bodies were hidden, right? Mm. They, they were children that were murdered. Yeah. Uh, by the proprietor. Yeah. And then their bodies are put in these suits. To hide them from the police. To hide them from the police. the police would never check. Well, this is the thing. The animatronic suits the, that stink of rotting yeah, flesh. Yeah, yeah. The cop, Vanessa, says that's the one place nobody would think to look, right? Yeah. If kids went missing in a restaurant and foul play was suspected, other than the dumpster, they might be the first place <laughs> I'd look. So the ghosts are inside the machines, but can also appear outside of the machines as like projections and in dreams yeah. methinks a bit contrived yeah uh, okay so right the, the plot <laughs> Here, here's my understanding of what's happening okay? okay Mike is practicing with the aid of a book lucid dreaming hmm. uh, to relive a memory yes his little brother was kidnapped when he was a kid yes right now this bloke Raglan played by Matthew Lillard yeah Secretly owns Freddy's, hmm. 
and he's sentimental and he doesn't want to let it go even though it's closed down is he sentimental or is he well uh, okay all right <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i'll just like yeah, let yeah. You steep yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he hires mike to be a security guard he does when mike starts working there he begins having dreams in which children show up in that core memory of yeah. his whom he later deduces to be the children that went missing in Freddy's, which led to its closure. Mm-hmm. He takes his sister there one night, and the ghosts of the children, which occupy the robots, befriend her. They then want her. Mm. So they offer Mike a deal in the dreamscape. Yeah. Give up his sister, and he can occupy the memory with his brother forever, somehow. Right. I don't know how they can offer that. Is that, no, is that the deal, or is the deal... You'll unlock the portion of the memory that shows you. No, what no, you to can him. live here with your brother. He's with his brother. Is that, that definitely the deal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure it is because his brother is there. Because that's He's the whole. Like, hey, Mike. That's the whole. The whole point of the lucid dream is not to be with his brother again. It's to find out. No, what it's the to find. Him. I'm pretty sure. I could be wrong. Okay, but I'm fairly sure that they say this is what you you, know, you miss this time of your like this. I is mean, what I, you're... I believe you because yeah, it, yeah. it would fit with the rest of the plot in that it doesn't do the thing that it's clearly setting up. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Okay. Okay. Also, also, there's a cop on whose beat is Freddy's. Mm. It then turns out she's the daughter of the owner slash child murderer. Yes. And her job is to keep an eye on the various security guards without letting them get close to the truth. Mm. Meanwhile, the ghost kids aren't evil. Their killer somehow influences them. And it turns out he does this by putting a drawing of him mm. in his yellow rabbit costume with all the others in the picture. And this therefore instills within them a submission mm. because pictures are how children understand the world. Yes. So Abby draws a picture showing that he's nasty. Mm. So they turn on him. Now, it should be noted these kids aren't five years old. No. If it was something supernatural, like some bullshit about the picture rewiring them neurally. Okay, absurdity on top of absurdity. I mean, I still don't know if I would no. accept First that. Saying, absurdity on top of absurdity, right? But they're like 8, 9, 10, 11. They're capable of understanding he's a bad man. It shouldn't take a drawing to hammer that home. Mm. They then kill their master. Mm. That's what happened, right? Yes. Right. So the, so what, what problem do you have the, with this, Sam? <laughs> well, okay, so the odds that... So it turns out that Matthew Lillard killed Mike's brother. Yes. Which, so, yeah, the dr- the dream thing. Yeah. I don't know about you, but my assumption was, oh, this is going to lead up to him unlocking the final part. And he of sees Lillard. And he the, sees Matthew yeah, yeah. Lillard. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. That, yeah, it just, it just, it, that just happens. Yeah. The odds that he killed no, Mike's... Yeah, no, he doesn't, like, yeah, Matthew Lillard tells him. Yeah, he turns up in the suit and he tells him, I killed your brother. Yeah. The odds that he killed his brother are stupendous. Yes. And contrived beyond belief. Why isn't his brother's ghost there? Yeah. So that... Was he killed elsewhere? How many children has this man slain? <laughs> like... How many branches of Freddy Fazbear are there filled with dead kids and Yeah, is it just like, okay, so he killed these five kids or whatever and dumped their bodies in the suits. Yeah. But he's also killed loads of kids that he's just thrown in rivers and stuff. <laughs> yeah, they weren't special. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it really, yeah, why isn't his brother there? Because that's an easy, like, his first night there, he sees the ghost of his brother. That's and he thinks thing. he's hallucinating. It's actually, a, it's actually a really good fix for the script. Mm-hmm. Because ever since the first game came out, 
there's always been one like uh, like hole in the premise and it's something that if you're going to do a film or a show about freddy's it's the first thing you have to address right. that is why did they come back after the first night the moment they detect hostility in the animatronics mm-hmm. why the hell would they come back it's certainly one of the first questions yeah Oh, yeah, there are other questions, yeah. certainly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, like, you can't get away with, oh, they're desperate for money. No, if you suspected these robots were going to kill you, you would Work leave. in Tesco. Yeah, you would yeah. fucking leave. Yeah. So, yeah, you need to give him a reason to stay there. And what better reason than, oh, I have found the ghost of my dead brother. Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep coming back to Freddy's to see if I can get him to tell me what happened. Yeah. Well, like, yeah, my brother's there. I yeah, mean, yeah, well, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to spend time yeah, yeah. with my brother. Because then that creates an interesting scenario where, yeah, his brother is in one of the suits, but the suits are hostile. Yeah. So he's trying to communicate with his brother, but his brother's trying to kill him. Or his brother isn't trying to kill him, but the other animatronics are. And so Freddy ends up becoming an ally of sorts to yeah. stop the other animatronics trying to kill Mike. And if, if this was a tiny town, I could maybe forgive that he ends up working in this place run by the guy that killed his brother. Yeah. Well, it, but just the odds, I don't even want to... Like, the odds that... It, okay, right. Yeah. So, Lillard kept the restaurant out of nostalgia, right? Did he? Yeah. that's the, They say that loads of times. He kept it out of nostalgia. Oh, they did, did they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, okay. Because my, my thing was going to be, is he not keeping the restaurant because he wants to make sure that people don't discover the suits? But, I mean, why would you keep... Then just keep it, but don't guard it. Do you know, I don't know. It's, it's Well, like, no, you need to guard it to keep people out. But, but he also sends. Suits, but he also I, sends his cop daughter there. Yeah, this is okay. Right. So he kept it for some reason then. But we'll say nostalgia. Okay. Then he got a job as a career counselor for yeah. a bit of money. Right. And so he could find people off the books to work security. Yeah. All that Freddy's money dried up apparently. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He meets a guy with the same surname as one of the kids he killed. Mm. Thinks ah, I'll get him. Okay. For some reason. So he wants to kill Mike. Well, no, right in the beginning when he meets him, right, he says. What's your name? And he says, you know, Mike. Schmidt. Schmidt. Yeah. Is that his name? Mike yeah, Schmidt. I think so, yeah. And he goes, Schmidt, I think I got a job for you. <laughs> Basically is what he does, right? It's just like, oh, he knows who this guy is. Yeah. I don't know how. I mean, Schmidt is not a massively uncommon surname, but whatever. And then he hires this guy. Mm. Everyone keeps saying there's a high turnover rate, right? Implying the animatronics kill the guards. Yeah. Why? Because... Are they there? Are, are the guards sent there to be offered up mm. or to genuinely guard the place? Yeah. If it's the former, does he just like murder? Does Ragon just like murder? <laughs> and well, he is a serial killer. Yeah, you know, but this thing. I thought, A, I thought his thing was for kids. Yeah. He, like, he's a child murderer. If it's the latter, why can't his daughter do it for a salary? Yeah. Also, does he kill them or do the animatronics? In which case, where's the fun? And when I say, does he just like murder? I mean, he just objectively likes it being performed. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I'll send them there so the animatronics kill him. Ha ha, I like that. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to fucking wank off. <laughs> like, or do you know what I mean? It's like, I think the fun of being a killer, yeah. in so much as there is fun, is that you, the one that kill, kills people. No, but there is something to that. Like, yeah, because that's the thing. He turns up on the fifth night with, with like a little butter knife. And mm. he's like, aha, Mike, I killed your brother and now I'm going to kill you. Yeah. You survived five nights at Freddy's and now you're going to die. Mm. Yeah, kind of implying that his intent was, was to kill Mike. Yeah, but, but uh, impl- that's yes. But then he berates his daughter saying, you, were sp- you had one job to stop him finding out the truth. Yeah. I, 
I don't know. But is, what... is that his like? Is that how he justifies it? It's like, oh, I have to kill them because they found out the truth. Why would he have to justify it? He's a child murderer. <laughs> like, it's nobody has like rule. These weird. Like, also, oh, it, it... it doesn't. The murder doesn't feel as good if I'm not forced to do it. Also, this may have been mentioned in there. In I don't know the the, the schmaltzy scenes when he's talking about his parents. What. Is her mum dead or something? Is her mum brought up? Because where's the mum in all this? <laughs> like, what do they get up yeah, to? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what we came yeah, up with. Yeah, okay. Also, if the animatronics function as pretty savage alarm systems, why do they need a guard in the first place? Yeah. This is what, like, what, what what's going on there? Yeah. It's so confusing. Again. Could, and they could have done with more Doug. Absolutely could have yeah. done with more Doug, yeah. Yeah, no, again, there's, there's something to that. Like, maybe he is... Um, he's putting guards there to sincerely guard the place, mm-hmm. but the animatronics keep killing them against his wishes. In which case, that's a dynamic you explore. Yeah, exactly. Or, yeah. as you say, there's like a performative aspect to it. He enjoys the cruelty. Like I've taken your lives, children in the animatronics. Yeah, and now you're going to kill for me, and this gives me great pleasure. And that's the thing. We're not nitpicking. This is you should be. If a film doesn't want to explore exactly like his psychology. I have to be able to infer, like, he just gets off on it. He gets yeah. off on the thrill of he sends these people to get killed yeah. by his creations, kind of. I can even forgive, you know, the whole, like, picture thing, and that's how he controls them, whatever. It's dumb, but fine. That's why they just obey him. Yeah. But I don't know what he's doing. I don't know whether he wants to keep it a secret, which he seems to, whether, like, all the guards get killed, whether it's just this... It's very unclear. Yeah. Whether on the last night he rocks up in his suit to kill them, but we see that's not the case because we see the first security guard get killed. Yeah. It's not the worst film of the year, right? That is still Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. Yes. But it's the dumbest. Okay. I think Dumber that, than Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey? It's dumber than Winnie the Pooh because Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey is an awful, stupid film. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be that intelligent. Okay. It doesn't kind of... It's it's just awful. Right. It, it's not like... It doesn't not make sense. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, it's stupid, but it's logically it's kind of simple. So yeah, whatever. Yeah, like it has problems, but the the knots that this film wraps itself up. Yeah, in, this this takes something simple and makes it very complicated. Very which, complicated. Which could be the tagline of the whole franchise, in fairness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think we now, you know, this is, will be our final batch of reviews for the year, other than our top tens. Yes, um, but that will be in the new year. Um, and we now definitively say the worst film of the year overall is Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. This is the dumbest. This is the worst logically. Mm. And Barbie's the worst philosophically. Okay. <laughs> the, the the unholy trinity yes. of 2023. Yes. Yeah. And I'm kind of exhausted by that <laughs> review. So uh, anything more you want to say? I mean, there's probably a couple of things, but uh, like, I won't take up too much more yeah, time. Yeah. God, I need a fag after. I need a fag after. <laughs> I'm going to join you. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so this, yeah, as, as you said, this is an adaptation of the games, games that were popularized through YouTube mm-hmm. by YouTubers. Oh, yeah. And as a result, the film wants to honor that. And so there are YouTubers that make cameos in this film. One of those YouTubers is probably um, one of the ones that had the biggest influence over not popularizing the franchise, but kind of determining the conversation around that franchise. Okay. And that's in what people were talking about. Yeah, and that's right. Matt Pat from Game Theory. Like nowadays, if you're kind of having a conversation about the Freddy's franchise in general, 
one of the first things you'll kind of go to is the law, as I've kind of alluded to in this review, the kind of the absurdity and the ridiculousness of yes. the law surrounding yeah, those yeah, games. Yeah. And Matt Pat is basically the the YouTuber that was like, this is the law from the clues that I can... From the clues the game gives me, this is what I believe the law is. Okay. And then the next game would come out and it would kind of scupper his theory and he'd come back and go, well, I have another theory. Okay. And then very quickly, it's almost like the games themselves became a conversation. Okay. Between you know them and and mm-hmm. Matt Pat, his questions kind of help dictate the direction of the franchise. Yeah, pretty yeah, much. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And so he makes a cameo appearance. He's the waiter in the diner when they she's kind of discussing. Yeah, the, she's telling the thugs right. What I want you to do is in order to get the night guard in trouble, I want you to break in during the day and yeah. trash the place. <laughs> yes, <laughs> another little uh, plot hole there. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, he's he's there as the waiter, and cameos being what they are, he does his little like you know catchphrase. Yeah, he has a catchphrase at the end of every video. He goes, but that's just a theory, right. a game theory, and he he does that in the film. He goes, he says, uh, pancakes are nice or something. But hey, that's just a theory. Yeah, as for yeah, I mean, if they wanted to get that line in there, there were infinite possibilities that. There are actually theories. Because that's not a theory, it's an opinion, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> no one would go, that's just a theory, go, that's just my opinion. Yeah. That's what you would say. That, like, I'm not being pedantic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, any normal person would say, oh, pancakes are the best food, in my opinion. They wouldn't yeah. go, that's my theory. Yeah. Is pancakes are the best food. Or, like, you're so sure of your opinion. Yeah. That when someone presents, like, an opposite opinion, you're like, well, that's just a theory. Yeah, yeah, Like, yeah. no, well, mine's right, but, uh, you know, like, I'll, I'll admit you could think that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, anyway, he does that. You're familiar with the YouTube series Pitch Meetings. I am. Right? It's, they've got their own channel now. And yeah, basically, they, they it's a send-up of... It's like a guy... Um, well, it's the, the film reviews, basically, just done in a certain... Yeah. Yeah. It's like a guy having a conversation with himself. One of one version of him plays the writer, one version of him plays the producer. And it's like, hey, I've got this script for this film that's just come out. Mm-hmm. And it's a straw man of the script. A yes. funny straw man of the script. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and there are like little catchphrases uh, that kind of appear in every video and stuff like that. Matt Pat has collaborated with him before, I think in the Joker video they did. Right. And so they got Matt Pat back mm. to do a little piece in the Five Nights at Freddy's pitch meeting. Right. In which they call Matt Pat up and they're like, hey, we want to collaborate with a YouTuber in this video. Are you up for that? And he responds with one of the pitch meeting catchphrases, which I think is super easy, barely an inconvenience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Matt Pat looks directly down the barrel of the camera and he goes, see, I said the thing. I said the thing. Fan service. Ah, oh, right, okay. She's having this cake and eating it. Yeah, what a dickhead. Yeah, but are you surprised? He's a YouTuber. No, no, I'm not, I, I'm not surprised that yeah, he's yeah. a dickhead. I'm surprised. But yeah, he just, yeah. I'm surprised that, like, the, the, the gall of it, you know? The blatantness of it. Yeah. Where it's like, you know you're just mocking yourself, right? Yeah. You're making, like, you, oh, yeah, you po- were perfectly happy Post-ironic. To, yeah, you were perfectly happy to be in the film... And be part of the celebration that was that film by like, oh, this film is honouring what you've done for that franchise. But you're perfectly willing to turn around and mock it at the same time. I don't know how old he is. but Uh, um, Like late 20s, early 30s, I imagine. There's now a significant gulf uh, between us and say Gen Z, even if he's a millennial maybe. Yeah. Not only do I not get their politics... I don't get how they talk to each other. Yeah, I don't get them. I don't get their music. I don't. No. I don't get like that's happened now. Mm. And he, the whole like post irony, like oh, I wasn't doing anything. Mm. I was just doing a thing. I was need nothing. 
Like, the task for consistency is quite fascist. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I don't know. It's it, like, there's, there's a whole world now that I don't understand, hmm. don't care to understand. I'm happy to have no connection with. Like, <laughs> right. No, I was always old for my age. Yeah. I just feel older now, even older. I feel like I'm 40 mm. when I talk to young people. <laughs> and it's, they're sharing things with each other. I'm like, what are you talking about? I, I, I don't get it. Um, but it's it's nice. It, it's like the end of Leave the World Behind where I'm just sat watching the Friends box set, you know? <laughs> when everyone else is... Uh, this. Yeah, when everyone Not else that. is... This. TikToking with the memes and thing. <laughs> <laughs> but carry on. Well, no, that was that was the that was the backpack point. Yeah, what a dickhead. But also, hasn't there been a, a larger point about um, what was that thing you said that someone did a thing with Mario and Five Nights, and it was oh, critics said this was too something, and critics said this was too something. They just can't oh, get it yeah, right. Yeah, and, yeah, um, yeah. Pe- uh, critics criticized the Mario movie for not having enough plot. Yeah, and critics criticized the Five Nights at Freddy's film for having too much plot. Yeah. Therefore, we can only deduce the critics hate video game films or something like that. It's like, no, they just can't get it right, can they? Oh yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like that, yeah. It's like, um, yeah, it's the thing in the middle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the extreme that <laughs> yeah. way. Yeah, that's the extreme that way. Both are wrong. Yeah, exactly. I just the video game. I know you're not one of them. I know, but like the the hardcore, you know, the 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 feeling of um, victimization that vid- the video mm. game gamers feel. Like, oh, we're not respected. And it feels like atheists. And I, I am an atheist, but like, you know, that angry atheist I was when I was 16, 17, mm. when atheists feel vict- they, they talk about their victimization, I was like, oh, you know, um, what is it? Russell T. Davis recently talked about, we're not going to review it because we're, we're going to do that in a later yeah, yeah, episode. Yeah. But uh, there's a trans character or non binary, whatever. Mm. And he said, uh, you know, I know some people, they're, they're dead named at one point. And he said, yes. That, Oh, um, you know, I know that it might be a bit, um, basically casting himself as being vaguely heroic for... Yeah, the, the episode was doing something very risky, but yeah. very brave by the... dead naming yeah, yeah, a yeah. trans character. Yeah, yeah. Character, not a trans person. But also it should be pointed out, not do, doing it from the perspective of don't do that. It, it wasn't... Yeah, yeah. They didn't dead name a trans person. He's like, yeah, fuck you. No, it no. Was like, no, yeah, yeah that, it was to make the point. But it feels like that when atheists, like, they think they're brave. Like, I don't believe in God. Meet a young person that's going to tell you they believe in God. Mm. Or, or, you know, they're religious. Doesn't happen. No. Does not happen. Uh, but th- there's this constant sense of victimization, but which, to be fair, is pretty trenchant in people nowadays anyway. <laughs> but yeah, it's just like, oh, just like your fucking games. You know what? And if you like the film, you're a dumbass, but whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like... They're going to like... the People have loved Five, Five Nights at Freddy's. Mm. And I just think that is such... There's such a gap between me and those people. Right. And I assume you. Where I just go, oh, uh, to me, I watched it and I just felt insulted. The whole My intelligence was insulted yeah. the whole time. But it, it didn't do the basics of making sense. Mm. Okay, um, you're happy that your thing got made into a movie. Fine, okay. But like... Film critics, and God knows I have my problems with the film criticism community as yeah. well. But they're just they're just talking about whether it's a good film or not. Mm. 
That's all they care about. Yeah, because they've got no attachment to... Yeah. They're not familiar with the source material. They, they don't know what... Nor it... should it be required. No. It they... shouldn't, it's a film in the cinema. Yeah. I, don't need, I shouldn't have needed to play the games to go watch that no, film. No, they don't know what, hey, that's just a theory is. They don't know no. what Springtrap is. They don't know what this and that are. They, yeah, they, exactly. They, 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 all they see before them is a film that doesn't make any sense. And it doesn't. No. But it, yeah, no, it, it's, it, in a way, it's kind of like with... with um, with the Sonic films, where I think a lot of people, a lot of fans, are just happy to see <laughs> yeah. that character represented, represented, yeah, 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 publicly, yeah. Um, They're the opposite of the Native Americans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> they'll no. take any crumb. They can, yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter that um, Freddy's is a, a not very scary horror film that's clearly f- made by people that don't understand how to make something scary. Yeah, and. In, in contrived beyond belief for no real reason it's a film it's something that people can Isn't, it's now like all of the parents that didn't want to have to sit down and watch them play the game now, well now you can watch the film mm. it's the same with Sonic it doesn't matter that those films are full of compromise and contrivance mm. Sonic is out on the big screen I can watch it with my parents it's it's a film it's cool now you know yeah it, the bloke that did the games um, what's his name Scott Cawthon who I think was actually involved in the yeah, script yeah he's, he's, he's a writer yeah he's one of the script writers yeah, so that, yeah. just, that just shows um, you need an outsider you do well, there, there's a big thing nowadays with games like with Last of Us as well it worked out a bit better with that yeah uh, adaptations and I understand why but like oh we have to have the game maker involved mm. and that, I get it it's an olive branch it's kind of a, it's a sign of respect to the video games is an art form but like if they're no good then just get a writer yeah. get a writer who has no attachment to any of it and can I, just I, extract the best things about it I don't it. even know if it's just that I don't even know if it's just an olive because again that's something Sonic didn't do I, 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 said, I made yeah. a point tonight in the first Sonic review that they were supposed to uh, give a cameo to the creator of Sonic the yeah, Hedgehog yeah, yeah. but they forgot about him yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they literally forgot about him yeah, during yeah, production yeah. Yeah, um, but Mario, like Nintendo, were heavily involved in the Mario film, as you say. Uh, Neil Druckmann was was mm-hmm. uh, basically a co-creator of the yeah. Last of Us TV show. Scott Cawthon uh, co-wrote and produced Five Nights at Freddy's. I uh, don't. Who directed it? Do you know the name? Oh, she, uh, some uh, Sarah something. Okay, uh, she hasn't done much. I think that two of them wrote it, right? Two or three of them. I think and three of them. Yeah, three of them, and he's one of them. Yeah. Now the thing is with the Last of Us coming off the back of Chernobyl, mm. it has Craig Mazin. Yes. So, like, it has Neil Druckmann, but it also has Craig Mason, who is a major fan of the game. Yeah. But also is a good writer, you know. Mm. I don't think The Last of Us TV series is a masterpiece, but it's it's pretty good. And It's, it's the best thing we've got. It's yeah, the best it's, it's the best we've, we've got. got. Yeah. And, um, yeah, this feels like a Scott Cawthon. If, if the way you talk about the games is anything to go by, yeah. the film also feels like he's the author. He is the artistic yeah, it's it's he's the voice of the. Film. Oh yeah, I mean there there are countless novels, uh, spin-off novels, right. of of the franchise, and he's a co-author for all of them. Okay, so he's like really not letting it. Yeah, he's a, he's a go. proper J.K. Rowling. Um, right. Ironic actually, because the last time I brought the Five Nights at Freddy's franchise up, he had been J.K. Rowling from his own franchise. Yes, because he donated. I think he donated money to uh, members of the Republican Party. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, so yeah. fans were sort of crying out in protest. This is the thing, though. J.K. Rowling um, was a—I I don't know if, if she was a producer on the Harry Potter films, but she was certainly like there. Yeah. And is this okay with you? Yeah, yeah. She had kind of—I don't know if she had final say, but she had input. Mm. And she's now an executive producer on this TV series. Yeah. She didn't write the screenplays. 
No, Steve Cloves wrote the screenplays for the Harry Potter films. Mm. She's not. I mean, she, maybe she's written uh, Taylor plays. I don't know, but yeah, um, she's an author. It's a, it's a different. I mean, a lot of authors make the transition fine, but it's not. They're two different disciplines. Yeah, and I'm wondering to kind of uh, finish the point I was making. Yeah. I, I'm wondering if um, that's the reason that uh, the game creator is often involved in the project. Mm-hmm. Did they bring Neil Druckmann on because though Craig Mazin is clearly a very talented mm. uh, writer and, and creator? Adapting a video game is something we still don't really know how to do yet. But I, yes, but I don't know why you'd get. I mean, they're two different disciplines, right? So yeah. it's like Neil Druckmann, but he wouldn't necessarily know how to make a good TV show. And so you meet in the middle. You get Neil right. Druckmann to deal with the game side of it, like making sure that those elements are brought over as faithfully as possible, and you bring Craig Mazin in to fill in the gaps that the game leaves behind. Maybe. I mean, I think all you need is. You need good content and a good writer. That's all you need. You don't, I, you know, I know my thing on video games is whatever, but mm. um, I don't think you need, I, obviously you, you would want their blessing and like, the, yeah. like, but you don't need Neil Druckmann for a good Last of Us TV series. You could have just had Craig Mason and it would have been good, I mm. think. Okay. Because, especially with that game because it's so, so easy to adapt. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe that's the exception to the rule. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. would Illumination have made as... I'm like, it's not good. I no, it's mean, not good. That's I don't want to use the word good, but would yeah, it yeah. they have made as competent? It's barely competent either. But no. Well, like, would the Mario movie have been not as disastrous as it is I can't, if Illumination I, were left to their own devices? When I, when I say I can't see how it could have been worse, yeah. I don't mean that it's the worst thing in the world. Yeah. But... How much worse could it have been without their input? You know what I mean? It's it's well, a movie. It would have been less... Possibly, it would have been less faithful to Mario. But th- this is the bit, the eternal question is, I don't think that matters. Uh, to make a, a, a good video game adaptation does not necessarily have to be faithful to yeah. whatever that means no, to the franchise. No, and I, I, I'm aware that like I've, I've used examples in the past that, that would suggest that I am drawing that correlation that yeah, faithfulness yeah. equals quality. I don't believe that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I still think that like we're, we're very much in the age of video game adaptations now. We get quite a few a year. Yes. And the quality is nowhere near consistently. It's, it's the first horseman of the modern apocalypse, isn't it? <laughs> video game adaptations. Yeah. <laughs> Locust the, next. Yeah, yeah. It's um, a siren. Yeah. But that's the thing. Yeah, like, you know, uh, Last of Us was good. Yes. Five Nights at Freddy's was not good. No. Gran Turismo, barely we're talking about. Yes. It, you, it, the quality's all over the place at the moment. We still don't really know how to do it. So well, I, be fair, there's been one good, ad- really good adaptation, right? Um, which is Last of Us. Mm. That's it, right? The rest yeah. are, are not good, just to varying extents. The Cuphead show is okay. I think okay. I think it kind of um, it kind of it, it did itself a disservice by releasing three seasons in the same year. Okay. Um, I don't know. There are some anime shows that are highly regarded. People seem that... to really like the Castlevania anime. Okay, um, and the, yeah, ignoring like that. that, like let's but go no, but no, yeah, live I, action. I, yeah. I, if I yeah, if, if we were putting together a list, The Last of Us would undeniably go at the top. Yeah. I feel like the number two slot would be l- much lower in terms of quality. Yeah, there's a, a major gulf between yeah best and second best. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, what's next then for video game movies? Uh, well, the Fallout show is coming soon, right? That has a chance. Yeah, that's uh, Jonathan Nolan. 
Okay. And uh, Lisa Joy, his wife, the, the ones who did Westworld. I am curious. Walton as... Goggins as a ghoul. <laughs> yes, yes, that could yeah. be something. I am curious to see how Amazon deal with their God of War show. Okay. Because um, there's no way that show is going to be inexpensive. No. Uh, so is they it... did Lord of the Rings. They did Lord of the Rings, yeah. I know. But like, is 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 it going to buckle under the weight of its own budget and ambition? Or are they going to be able to... Because um, they've gone with the more like overtly emotional... God right, of War right, stuff because right. they're doing the Norse mythology, yes, so yes. that the core of that is the relationship he has with his son. So um, Last of Us kind of vibes, yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm wondering if they're going to be able to to like pull that out of the games, or is it just going to be look here is a giant golem battle, you know? Yeah. Um, well, you await our reviews. Yes, and of course we've got uh, Sonic Three next year as well. Oh, hail. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they've they've. Just, I think they've just started filming as well. They they teased like oh, right. um, they showed like you know they do like uh, they have statues that stand in for the CG characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They showed like the bottom half of the shadow stand in they've got. Did you and... cream? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just shows them it. Well, they're it, not getting you. No, they're not getting yeah. me. But at the same time, it was like, all right, yeah, that's the bottom half of character I knew was in the film anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, and of course we'll have Five Nights at Freddy's 2 and Five Nights at Freddy's 3 to look forward to as well, whatever grotesque form they take. Indeed. So our next episode will be the top 10 of 2023. Yes. Uh, TV and film. Yes. Plus some little bits and pieces we haven't didn't get around to. Yeah, we say that now. <laughs> bits and pieces. I think when we rehearsed, just to get a vague sense of time, Yeah. Um, a quarter of that extra non-main chunk took 45 minutes yeah. so, <laughs> so yeah, it might literally yeah, just yeah. be so top we'll 10 and we're done yeah 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 um, but yeah and then we move into new year and we yeah. do Doctor Who <gasps> yes yes and Fargo you get excited for that and on that note are we done <laughs> um, yeah I don't, I don't see why not alright then bye bye <laughs>